And we are back. Episode 36, Buckets and Dan Sportsland. We've made it to the New Year's Eve Hannon birthday special. Live from Hannon's parents' basement, six feet apart. Dan, it's great to be here. It is good to be here. I appreciate you shouting me out with the birthday. It's a, It's been a it's been an interesting year, to say the least, from last birthday to this birthday, but we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, it's uh, it's good to be here. we got a big show, our, our year in review, both in sports, for our show, for our lives. So it's going to be a good wrap-up to the year 2020, and then we can crumple it up and throw it in the trash. Yeah, Dan, awesome guest this week in episode 36. Our blast from the past is none other than former Bills tight end great Jay Ramirezma. And we also have UB staffers, Ken West alum, two great coaches now for the UB football program, and that's Mike Peters and Adam Fran. And they come in and they break down the day-to-day life of being a obviously a Division One football coach and, and kind of their their rise and their continue continual rise through and the grind. college ranks. Yeah, the grind, grind of it. They need it. I uh, thought it was one of our better interviews, Dan. Yeah, two good friends too. So it's definitely fun to have them on. So it's it's our New Year's Eve special, Bill. I know we just did this off air, but let's um let's talk about our favorite shows, the top shows of 2020 for the Buckets and Dance. So before we get to that, I mean, Bill, we're in the same boat with a lot of these. Our our year in review individually. I mean, you talk about a year that has really sucked, but really was has been great for us. We we return the the podcast and the show that everyone loves buckets and Dan if you're listening to this you must love it we're just doing a community service community service we're giving everybody what they want we both get engaged the bills are rolling and again knock on wood general family health we've had I mean this is yeah. it's been a good year if you there's a lot to look at negative wise around the world specifically but I mean it's been it's been a good year for both of us absolutely very and thankful. Absolutely very thankful, and, and we started to kind of go back to the well, got a little teary-eyed here um, in the basement, and talked about, try to kind of break down what our top five shows, you know, maybe you're a fan who just started listening a few weeks ago, um, but if you are one of those fans and you kind of want to look back at maybe some of our first episodes, episodes where we had literally nothing going on <laughs> throughout the late spring and summer, and I'd come over to Dan's four or five days in a week, do one episode or one interview at a time. Shows were lasting between two and a half hours and three hours. Those were some classic episodes, and I wanted to break down what maybe our top five were, um, but I, but it was impossible. So we kind of broke it down to a top ten. Dan, where do we start? I mean, episode one was funny because it was like, can we really do this? And we, we threw a bunch of lines in the water. We were able to corral Dixon Ward as our first Buffalo Sports Blast from the past. And, again, that's how the show kind of originated. It was Bill's idea to try to start a podcast where we bring an old Buffalo athlete on. So Dixon Ward was nice enough to come on. We also, it was right after the NFL draft, we were able to get Georgia Southern head coach Chad Lunsford, who coached, obviously, Tyler Bass, in college to talk about him. We brought on Kafensa Hinson. He talked about Isaiah Hodgins, if you remember him from the NFL draft. Quite the impact he's made so far. (laughs) (laughs) It's hilarious following him on Instagram, just in shock of the snow. 
<laughs> and all these guys must live in some condo complex because all you see on their Instagram stories is them opening the door and there's like three inches of snow and they're like, whoa, they, they're just in shock of it. We also had Joe, Joe Biscali on that episode to preview the Bills, or excuse me, talk about the, the wrapping up the NFL draft. So that was a fun one. A couple episodes later, I think my personal favorite interview we had, Rob Johnson, he was so cool. That's a big name for us to get. Yeah, early on, too. Two, I, I think our two biggest names we don't really talk about, getting ESPN's Boog Shambi to come on, and then Jeff Merrick, who might be even bigger, definitely is bigger than Boog Shambi in the Canadian circles to come on, even for just a 15-minute. That was so nice, and that was awesome. In episode four, we also had a little wing ranking, you know, yep. Mount Rushmore. That's when the Mount Rushmore was hot. That was with Pat Moran, and that was also with new dad, congratulations, Sean Duncan. Yep, congratulations to Sean on the – Gorgeous little boy that I'm sure will grow up to be massive in Matthew <laughs> Joseph. So we're looking forward to him corralling a left tackle spot at some point in the near future. How about episode eight, Dan? We kind of brought it back to the Cortland special at Survivor champion Tommy Sheehan, good friend. We had Zach Boys, the current Red Dragon, Mo Kearney, associate basketball head coach, and Dan Pitcher quarterbacks coach of the Cincinnati Bengals that was a heck of an episode I mean some great Sabres interviews we have JP Dumont well, Grant well, let's, Ledger, go down, let's go down the, the list Marty here. Baron. <laughs> episode nine was a huge hockey episode that makes a top 10 we had Scott Wheeler on of the athletic Pat Coletta and Joe Yurden Dan I want you to talk about this one because I think this one's probably our best episode episode 12 our blast in the past was none other than Marty Brown former manager of the Bisons we also had Ben Wagner, uh, the play-by-play man of the Jays. And you said it earlier, Boog Shambi, ESPN. Yeah, we don't have to go through all these. I mean, Come on. It- Just real quick. Fine, I'll go through them quick then. Right. Episode 17, you had Duma, Jeff Merrick, Brian Koziel. Episode 20. How about episode 20, Dan? Yeah, Baby Joe. Baby Joe Macy is our Buffalo sports blast from the past. This guy. We got three more, Dan. Three more of my favorites. Episode 23, Derek Lalonde, associate coach of the Tampa Bay Lightning, Stanley yeah, Cup champion. Right. We don't talk about that either. So we could probably feel – can we – I'm going to go right, through right, right, Episode right, go 30 was also a classic. Jerry Sullivan brought it that episode, and Quinn Early, our blast from the past that episode. And, Dan, I'm going to throw this one. This one sneaks into our top ten. Uh Episode 36, the Hannon special. Yeah, Jay Reamers, absolutely. So let's quickly, let's run down a Buckets and Dan depth chart. And this is actually off the cuff now. Could we do a hockey one? Because we have Baron in goal. Yep. Ledger and on D. D. Then we got Dumont Collette up front. You got Lalonde as head coach. Yep. Did we have any more hockey players? We had Dixon Ward. Dixon Ward. So you have have Ward, Dumont, Collette. You have three forwards. Then you got... Did we have another defenseman? Grant I don't think we Ledyard. did. We got to add one defenseman in so, 2021. Yeah, so that's our goal to add a defenseman. We also have to add a center yep. from the football realm because we have an offensive depth chart, ladies and we gentlemen. We do have an offensive depth chart. At quarterback, we have starting Rob Johnson, backup Drew Willie, third string, no offense, Joel Cotta, and quarterback's coach slash fourth string. Dan Pitcher, who is currently the quarterback's coach for the Cincinnati Bengals. We're a power scheme at running back slash fullback. We got one guy. He doesn't get hurt. That's Sam Gash. We and You talk about a power team. We got bookend tight ends on the outside <laughs> with Jay Reimersma, Tim Ewis, and then our bread and butter, our offensive line. Oh, we got a good offensive line. Chris Harrison, 
John Fina. Those are the tackles. John Davis and Jerry Ostrowski. Those are the guards, and we just need a center. We do need a center because on the outside, we got our offensive weapons, Quinn Early, Naaman Roosevelt. How about this coaching staff, Bill? I like the staff. Head coach, Turner Gill. Offensive coordinator, Chad Lunsford. Receivers coach, Kafensa Hinson. We have some some offensive quality and defensive quality control coaches. Oh, you're going to give them position. I'm going to – you got to give them a position. Okay. We have linebackers slash receiver coach and quarterback slash defensive backs coach, Mike Peters and Adam Fran. We have Von Lasseter. He's an offensive yeah. assistant. <laughs> and then we got some strength and conditioning, Matt Gildersleeve. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. The, bu- the Buckets and Dan Staff. <laughs> That's unbelievable that we can do that. Bill, not to – immediately turn this to a sad note, but it wouldn't be a year in review oh, without geez, talking about go some, right there. some celebrity and sport deaths. This year sucked in terms of this as well. Obviously, you had the Black Panther star and famous actor Chadwick Boseman recently passing away. Legends, Sean Connery, um, Brian Dennehy, Tommy Boy's dad. You had singers Kenny Rogers. Eddie Van Halen, Bill Withers, you were just singing just the two of us. Just the two of us. Also singing Lovely Day. If you want to you wanna talk about a song that slaps, go listen to Lovely Day right now. Jerry Stiller, absolute legend. Regis Philbin and Alex Trebek, literally two legends. Obviously in the political realm, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passing away. Um, Fred Willard. If you don't know who Fred Willard is, he's everybody's dad on any show you've ever watched. And then, of course, we go to the actual sports deaths, which have been just awful all year. Kobe Bryant, of course, leading the way. Mets legend and my dad's favorite player of all time, Tom Seaver. David Stern, the old commissioner, actually passed away January 1st last year. I don't even remember that. This year has been so long. Talk about the Hall of Famers that passed away. From the baseball realm alone, Don Larson, first perfect game in World Series history. Joe Morgan. Al Kaline, Lou Brock, Bob Gibson, Whitey Ford, Phil Necro. You know there was not one pitcher in the majors last year that threw a knuckleball? Hall of Fame basketball players Wes Unseld, the best uh, overhead two-hand pass in NBA history, Casey Jones as well. Hall of Fame hockey player and former Sabre Dale Howardchuk. Hall of Fame football players Gail Sayers and most recently Kevin Green. Hall of Fame coaches from all over the place. Don Shula, Jerry Sloan, Eddie Sutton, Lute Olson, and John Thompson from uh, NCAA basketball. Local Sam NBA Weish, star. former yep. Bills coach. Yep. Um, local NBA star Cliff Robinson. And how about some awful ones? J- Tavares Jackson yeah, dies in a car accident. About it? No, I wasn't laughing. Tavares Jackson dies in a car accident. Rache Caldwell murdered in an attempted robbery. His name just came up uh, watching that Pats game. So it's been it's been a tough year. I'm I don't think anything's going to change immediately in 2021. But you have to imagine it can't get much worse than what we just dealt with. No, you know it, I always watch the New Year's Eve when it's like 15 minutes to midnight, and they put on like the you know all the people who died. They do a little moment of silence for everyone. They they're going to have to. The producers on that are going to have to do a little extended time. Yeah, they're going to start at like 11.15. So, um, again, we wish all our listeners the best of luck and happiness and health and good fortune in the new year. We appreciate you listening. But uh, let's head it over for some Q&A. Question. What kind of bear is best? That's a ridiculous question. False. Black bear. Why are you the way that you are? What'd you do? Hey, what do you guys like better, nurse or cheerleader? 
All right, Dan, let's start with a little Q&A for B and D. And, Dan, let's start with, uh, I guess this question is from me for the both of us. Any New Year's resolutions? I'd say, you know, for me, uh, just continue to get stronger. Continue to get stronger. And and I got to make my way back into the restaurant slash bartending game. You know, it was a good feeling to get laid off. And I think there's a big return coming in 2021. The Banquet King shall return. Yeah, I, I feel that come up as well. You know, like we said before, a minor setback to a major comeback. Mine is going to be to read more. I got a, a few books for for Christmas. Santa was good to me. Got some coaching and motivation books. Got Barack Obama's new book. That's going to be a bear to get through. So yeah, I would say um, I would say to read more. It's funny you say that, Dan. Yesterday, you know, trying to think of a cool gift for you. You've been talking about trying to read more. I go to Barnes and Noble. I'm I'm scrolling through. I'm looking through all these different basketball books, different basketball. I could go with the classic wooden, but you probably have that buried dusty somewhere. So I found a real recent coaching book, Nick Nurse, Raptors head coach. It's called Rapture, mm-hmm. and I bought it yesterday morning. And I went home and I said, I'm gonna just take a look at a peek at this, and don't got too much going on right now. I read the whole thing in one day. I haven't read a book in a long time. It was about 230 pages. It felt like a children's book. I, I just went right through it. I absolutely loved it, and I gave it to you, Dan, for your birthday, and I thought I'd get a better reaction. But here's, I guess, my question, and maybe you can a- answer this, is would you consider that gift less now that I've read it? Is it like a okay, used book? Yeah, okay, let me, let me go through a couple of things here. Number one. It, we're it's ten minutes before interview. You walk in. I'm trying to. I'm the only one that touches any techno technology or equipment. So I'm trying to get that ready. You stumble on down and throw a book in my face. Now, I first of all, I do appreciate it, and you didn't have to give me a gift. I don't know if I got you a birthday gift, so I do appreciate. Never it. do. Okay. All right. <laughs> so I I do appreciate it, but I, I will say this: you sent me a text the other day of a Bill Parcells book that looks like it came out in 1983 and said. Um, would you be interested in reading this? I said, sure. He goes, yeah, you just got to give it back. I said, of course, no problem. So when you walk down with a book that just, I don't know, I can't believe you just got it yesterday. It looks like you got it at a thrift store oh, and stop. and then read it, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I figured it was another used book that you've had for years that you wanted to let me read. So I said, oh, thanks. I didn't know that you went out of your way to go to Barnes & Noble. I do appreciate that. I am looking forward to reading it, especially if it's an easy read. You it's know, a, I don't read well. It's an easy read. He gives a lot of good coaching tidbits. He sprinkles them throughout. I thought it was great. He talks about only being able to get mad at his team six times a year. He says he has six bullets, and he talks about doing less. So I think it's just a really good coaching book for all aspiring coaches. So I do want to say thank you. I do appreciate it. And I got something else coming for you tomorrow, something small. You're going to like it. Okay. Uh, the that, whole world will see it. That could uh, – that that could be taken as an easy joke, but we'll we'll lay that one. We'll let that one go. All right, uh, this one comes from our good friend Butch in Depew. Butch, a longtime loyal listener. Thanks for listening. This one's for Bill. Bill, what are your top potential or current NFL coaching vacancies heading into 2021? I think there's going to be a lot of vacancies, and holy smokes, it's going to make for an interesting offseason. But – Okay. When you kind of rank these top ones, I think there's a clear, in my mind, there's a clear top dog. And I, as a, as a top head coach candidate, I, I'd look at the Chargers as being the best job uh, just because of the quarterback situation. Right below that is Jacksonville. Ton of cap room and the first overall pick. Right below that for me, it's, it's a toss-up, and this is where I'm kind of stuck. It's between the Jets, 
I, th- I think I'm going to give the edge to the Jets um, because, you know, they're going to have the second overall pick. They've drafted decently well over the past couple years. They're go- You know, the coach is going to get a few years. They're going to be working with most likely a young rookie quarterback. And four for me is Houston just because of the quarterback situation. Deshaun Watson not getting any attention right now. Man, he's doing a heck of a job with not a lot of talent around him. And obviously, interim head coach is Romeo Cornell. Um, and then below that, I'm not even going to get into it, but just questionable, tough jobs. You know, you see Detroit, the turnover they've had, and Denver is a potential landing Atlanta. spot. Atlanta, to me, is a that's a tough job, right? Don't, don't you agree? Because you got Matt Especially Ryan. GM. Yeah, I mean, that's a tough gig. So for me, that's kind of how I rank them. How about coaching candidates besides, obviously, Brian Dable, Eric Bieniemy? Or actually, don't we, I'm th- putting you on the spot, so we don't have to worry about that. But no, I, I got, I got. But one. I, my thing is like, imagine like Marvin Lewis's name has been being floated around. How pissed would you be if you were a fan of an NFL team that went and hired Marvin Lewis? I wouldn't like it. You know who I would? Starting to come around to this idea. Nobody wants to give this guy credit. Nobody talks about him. Leslie Frazier. Leslie Frazier, I think, should be a head coaching candidate, and I think it would be an absolute shame if he doesn't get interviews, right? I mean, how do you not agree? He's got this defense improving, steadily improving throughout the year. That was our biggest question mark. And how does a team get better throughout the year? A lot of that comes down to coaching. He's been named the associate head coach of the Bills. He deserves some opportunities, deserves some interviews as a head coaching candidate. He's got the experience. I think he'd do a really good job in this league. I agree with that. I just think there's – I would really love to know the ins and outs. Like, like to me, having a guy like Brian Dable with the resume of he's the offensive guy, you know what I mean? The head coach is on defense. That's my point about Frazier. I don't know how much play calling he does. I don't know how much – you know, how much of it's his scheme or is it McDermott's scheme that he's implementing and putting his own little wrinkles in? That's why, to me, like, Dable should be ahead of Eric Bieniemy because you saw what, like, Andy Reid's last offensive corner, Matt Nagy, had a decent first year and then he kind of sucked. So it, I think there's, I think there is a big difference between being, like, the offensive coordinator under an offensive coach as opposed to being the offensive guy in a staff. Everyone wants the hot offensive coordinator. I get that. To me, my only reservation about Brian Dable is – he doesn't strike me as a guy who gets up in front of a team, a and leader, a right. leader of men. He's more of no a genius idea. in the booth. I also never met the guy, so I'm just speculating. That's fair. We have no idea how. Yeah, we don't know. You're right. Well, I guess, but we'll find out soon, won't we? We'll find out soon. Uh, how about Dan, I got one? a yep. question for you. Sure. Here's well, this here. actually comes from Patrick from Clarence, and, and he writes in, Dan, Bill, I don't care about your opinion. You just spit off the top of your head anyway. Dan does his research. Thank Dan, you. who do you got winning the NFC East? What a wild finish this week. This is wild that Washington has put themselves in this position. It looked for the past couple of weeks like they were going to walk right into a playoff spot with a losing record. Now they're in a tough spot. They have to win to get in Sunday night football in Philadelphia against Jalen Hurts. Kind of a, I know they lost last week, but kind of a re- reinvigorated Eagles team a little bit. And... If they don't win, then it's going to come down to the winner of the Giants-Cowboys game. Now, I put a future bet in on the Cowboys, like, after their – who they beat randomly one week? It was with Dalton. Dalton came back, and I thought, oh, they're going to – they're the best team. They're their best offense. And they sucked. And this this division sucks so bad that they have a chance to win the division. How crazy is it that the Cowboys could host a playoff game if things fall their way? So, because I put the future bet in and because of the fact that 
Washington is starting a quarterback that I've never heard of since they cut Dwayne Haskins. We'll get to in a second. I think that the Cowboys win against the Giants and the Redskins lose and the Cowboys win the NFC East with a 7-9 and okay. record. There you go, Patrick. How about this next one? Bill, this first time, long time here. Reggie from the D.C. area. Reggie, thanks for writing in. Your thoughts on Dwayne Haskins. Do you think he'll ever play another down in the NFL? It's a good question. He cleared waivers, meaning he is eligible eligible to be picked up by any team. You would think, you know, it seems it seems like the counters are not the counters, the cabinets are fairly empty when it comes to competent NFL quarterbacks, and he surely hasn't looked like one since he came into the league. The Washington football team probably made the the right decision. They were probably fed up and they're sick of blaming other people for Dwayne Haskins' inability to act like a starting quarterback in this league. He said it himself. I got to get my life together after this all happened. I am rooting for him to get back into the league. I do think he'll get another chance, right? I mean, Josh Rosen has been on four or five different teams. Dwayne Haskins will get picked up, and you just hope and you hope that he puts in the work, learns behind someone. I'm sure he's learned some good lessons from Ron Rivera and Alex Smith, and he's hopefully going to learn from his mistakes. Obviously a huge bust. Probably ranks up in the top 10 of all time, I'm thinking. The reason I don't think he will is because it's not it's not just on the field stuff. You look at Jamarcus Russell and Johnny Menzel had their problems off the field as well, and you can see that this kid's dedication and work ethic just doesn't seem to be all there. He makes a lot of stupid decisions. Also, imagine being the buddy that convinced him to go to the strip club that night. They just come off the or big he win. chose to. Well, just imagine if it was his buddy that now they're, everyone's going to be broke soon. So, yeah, it, it sucks for him. Maybe, And I hope I'm wrong. I hope that he does, it, you know, this he finds a new circle of friends. He finds some guys that can be mentors to him, and he turns it around moving forward. But if Quinn Early can't mentor Jamarcus Russell, which is in his Wikipedia bio, then, you know, who's to say that this kid's going to turn out well? Okay. All right. We do have one last entry from our good friend, Mike from the town of Tonawanda. He has a question for each of us. So we'll start with me. Start with me. Go ahead, Bill. Read it. Dan, so far in your coaching career, what is your relationship with crosstown rival coaches? For example, the Kenmore West coaches. Um, yeah, it's been great. They're some of my great friends. They're all mentors. I mean, Coach Metz, who just retired, was my JV coach, and then I was able to coach under him at the varsity level for a few years. Coach Hogan was not only one of my first coaches on the varsity level when he helped out Coach Badgley, but... Um, he's been a friend and a mentor ever since, so I'm, I'm thrilled for him that he is now the varsity coach and has a chance to create a program under his name. Uh, I would say that I have not done well record-wise against them, and whenever there's adult beverages flowing, there's certainly some trash talking, but um, they're good friends, and I wish them nothing but the best. Bill, rumor is you like a good deal or bargain. Is there anything on your radar? Yeah, Dan, obviously a tough time for local businesses, so I'm not talking about the local businesses when I say this, but I love when a store closes. <laughs> I love when a store closes. You know, when, it, when it's just an absolute closeout and you wait to the last minute and, and, and pretty much there's, you know, 15, 20 items left in the store and you're looking at an 80 to 90% cut off the top of the tag. So for me, yeah, Dan, I, I love when a good national chain closes. Um, I'm a huge, you know, it, it's bargain time. It's bargain time because here's what's going on right now. Online shopping has obviously been at a 
astronomical rate. You know, people aren't going into stores. Well, what's going to happen in the next few weeks as people say, eh, I'm not going to use this Christmas gift, their online gift, they're going to return it to the big box store. So you're going to walk into a place like Dick's Sporting Goods, and you're going to find some online returns that aren't necessarily stocked, so they have to put them, put them in at a discounted rate. you got to look out for those. So it's a good time to get out there, wear the mask, go out there and look for some some good bargains. Okay, it's bargain. You know, I'm not a hunter, but I'm a bargain hunter, and, and, and this is the season. It's opening day. Let's just say it's opening day tomorrow. i got one other thing to add, Dan. Um, oh man, it was good. Oh yeah. And, and I got issues with it. You know, I'm not perfect. I'm the type of guy who spends hours getting the best hotel and the flight deal and, and spending those extra minutes to save the extra 30 cents on the flight, booking it at the right time. But then I, when I go to that city, if it's for an away bills game, I run up a hundred, 200, $300 bar tab, you know, speaking of adult beverages yep. and don't even think twice about it. Yep. So I got issues. Yeah. But that's that's your comment. Yeah, I got issues, all right. but I love when a store closes. All right, all right. Well, here's to more stores closing in 2021. Bill. <laughs> um, let's send it over to our good friends and UB coaches, Adam Frown and Mike Peters. This interview is brought to you by Arista Networks. Arista Networks is an industry leader in campus, Wi-Fi, data center, and cloud computing. Learn more about Arista at arista.com. Excited to have on two former Kenmore West graduates now doing big things with the University of Buffalo football program. One is a former teammate of mine. One is a former player that I was able to coach. Two good friends. We have Adam Fron and Mike Peters joining Buckets and Dan. Mike, Adam's the veteran, so we'll let you start. It's good to have you on. Appreciate you, Dan and uh, and Buckets. Thanks for having me on. You know, it's been uh, it's been fun to kind of watch you start the podcast when you guys were in college and, you know, take it to the next level. It's been a, the come up's been fun to, to be a part of. Yep. We're all just doing big things here, Mike, all for the 46 people that listen to this podcast. We're in Hannon's basement. Yeah. We're in a, we're in a grungy basement. It's freezing down here. Uh, <laughs> Fran, usually we have you on for a little more fun. So I think our fans are going to, I think our fans are going to like the professional Fran that uh, we get today. Well, we'll see what happens, but buckets Dan, obviously always a pleasure. Thanks for having me back. All right. Hey, Mike, uh, Mike Peters here. Let's start with you. You grew up uh, Kenmore, New York, played on some some pretty good Kenmore West teams. You're Dan Hannon's age. You played with him for four years, played receiver along with some great guys. Zach, I mean, I could go through the list, you know, unbelievable guys. Um, At what point of your maybe high school career or was it into your college career um, when you played at Lake Forest in Illinois? Did you know you wanted to take on the coaching profession? I think I wanted to coach when I was in high school. I think the, my, my initial goal was to be a high school coach, coach at Kemmer West, come back, be a history teacher. And um, I think I got into the teaching part of, um, you know, the classes when I was at Lake Forest. I was like, this isn't, this, isn't, this isn't for me. What do I want to do? It actually took until my junior year of college where I had a conversation with my head coach, uh, Jim Catanzaro, he, uh, you know, he asked me what I wanted to do with my life. I had no idea. He goes, well, why don't you come out and coach the receivers spring of your, your senior year and see if it's something you want to do. And I loved it. Um, I was, you still 
got the teaching aspect of everything, but you got to be around the guys and um, that that culture was it was it was kind of one of those things where it was fate. I really had no idea that college coaching was going to be the path I I take. I I think I took the my my first initial goal of going to Lake Forest was to go make a bunch of money and live in downtown Chicago, and that's the exact opposite of what me and Fran are doing, you know, GA. And so it's it's uh, it's definitely more rewarding than what I thought it was going to be. Uh, initially. Yeah, and you certainly had a productive career at Lake Forest. You had over 40 receptions your senior year. And like you said, you went over to McMurray College and then eventually left for Concordia, in, st- staying in Illinois um, before coming home to, to coach with UB in February of 2018. What, are, what were some of the big lessons you took from your first few years of coaching at the Division Three level in Illinois that you really translated as you came to this program here at the University of Buffalo? Those first couple of years were probably the, I did the most learning about myself, um, you know, doing a lot of grunt work, doing things that I didn't really know were part of coaching, you know, painting the field. Um, my, my first job at Max Murray, I remember I had to paint the field one of the first Thursdays of the season. I messed up the painting, so... When, the, when you're looking down on the field from the press box, like the, the, the ticks on the sideline were all messed up. You know, you're, you're doing things that don't realize are a necessity to run a college program. So just the details matter. I would say those first two jobs, like you're, you're wearing many hats. You're doing social media coordinator. You're doing the film. You're also coaching a position. Uh, definitely one of those things where then when you go to the University of Buffalo, where there's more hands, um, it means you have to do a really good job at less things. So you have to focus in on, um, you know, if you're controlling the rep counts uh, for the running backs, uh, the volunteer, you don't have room for air. So um, you, you're allowed to focus more on the details of less tasks, whereas at the Division three level, you're asked to wear many hats and do a good job of, uh, you know, and you're spread thin a little bit. So I'd say I just learned – you know, that no job is bigger, no job bigger than me. You know, I just got to, you got to put your head down and work and, and help, you know, the program, you know, move forward. So. And I think that kind of come up certainly um, gains you more respect and respect of the process as opposed to someone that just gets handed a D1 job right away, maybe like the former D1 players and whatnot. So definitely a nice story there. And Fran, some are calling you the yellow bandit. We see your big goofy body out on the sidelines there calling in the defensive backs. Tell us a little bit about your journey. You went to an inferior Central New York college to play quarterback compared to SUNY Cortland where Bill and I went, and now you're at UB. So walk us through a little bit of that process. Yeah, sure. So um, went to just a powerhouse of a college in, in Central New York. They're playing for Ithaca College. and The Bombers. And they, they, <laughs> go Bombers. They've just had such monopoly there the last uh, – one or two years going now, but yeah, um, yeah, what a monopoly! What a what a tenure they've had. Go ahead. Well, when he went at MetLife Stadium over the over that's the rival, true. that's always good news. That's but, true. Um, I mean, that joke aside, um, was was blessed to have a four year uh, college career playing. Obviously, after uh, playing for Kenmore West, um, like you guys have, and um, kind of from college, I knew that I wanted to get into football um, in some capacity. Um, just kind of talking to you know my advisors, um, some of my coach at the time. Um, I didn't know exactly what, um, but there isn't really, I, I guess, 
uh, a course that kind of preps you on like the different types of jobs that you can kind of get into uh, when it comes like the football industry. So I, I didn't really understand kind of like everything that goes in or, or like the different kind of careers that you can kind of follow. Um, so from there, um, after college, I actually got involved with Buffalo Bills and kind of just working there for the summer, um, kind of more in a, like an operational sense. And uh, kind of just that was kind of like my first like introduction to see like how like a like a football team, like from the whole like side of it just kind of operates. OK, so um, and also after that, just kind of get involved with University of Buffalo, um, kind of starting in like the recruiting department to start. Um, and then kind of talking to Coach Peters here, he kind of got me, kind of bridged me to the football side of the um, the organization where now um, I, I graduate assistant coach as well. So, Fran, you're the first high school quarterback I've ever seen that immediately comes off the field and puts a ball cap on as opposed to go play defense. So I could tell quarterbacks in your blood, you have the personality, the body for it, but Right now you're working with defensive backs. And I know, Mike, you're a receiver your whole life, and now, I, if I'm correct, you're working with linebackers. So we'll start with Adam. How important is it to just grow your overall knowledge of the game as opposed to just dive into something you're already comfortable with? Oh, uh, just super important. Um, just like defense, obviously, just a whole other side of the ball that I had, hadn't played, quite honestly, since – you know, freshman year, sophomore year of high school. Um, and obviously the game has, has grown pretty advanced since then. So just kind of like, we really just opened my eyes to, you know, what, what a defense kind of looks for, what it preps for, just like the different types of things that, you know, going to call in a defense too. And, um, you know, having the quarterback background, obviously any chance I get during practice, I, I, I try and be like the scout team quarterback and, and just, uh, you know, throwing as much as possible during the drills just to kind of, uh, kind of, I guess, keep the arm loose yep. and everything. Oh, yeah. Got to stay ready. Mm -hmm. Mike, same thing with you. you. You now work with the linebackers, but you grew up playing wide receiver. Do you feel, I mean, how was that transition? And at this point in your career, you've been coaching college for, I think, six or seven years at this point. Would you feel comfortable coaching any position at this point? You know, it's uh... – it's funny. We were just talk, I was talking to a buddy of mine, and he's he was asking to if he should transition to defense. And he's an offensive guy, and I said it's the best thing I've ever done for my development. Um, you know, long term goal is to be a coordinator, um, and in order to do that, you really got to see things through both sides of the game. But as when I first got to Buffalo, I worked with a running back in a volunteer role, and that to me was new in itself of learning inside the box. So I loved receivers. I loved route contests. I loved all that stuff. But then when you get inside that inside the box and learning run scheme and and blocking schemes and how to how to press a hole, you know, it's that's a completely different world in itself. So that you know, when I had the opportunity to go into a GA role on defense, I was intimidated. I thought, I mean, I don't know if I'm cut out for that. Um, but Coach Leifold brought up a good point. A meeting I had with him was just. If you want to be a coordinator, you need to be able to see things from both sides of the ball. And uh, I didn't have a clue about linebacker, uh, but Coach Simpson, who I work with on a daily basis, he said, you know what, as long as you work hard, as long as you're on top of your stuff and you're trying to learn, uh, I can work with you. So it's been the best decision in my first seven years of coaching to switch to defense. And to answer your question, uh, Buck, it's like I think uh, being on both sides now, I, there's so much uh, things that are the same, you know, and technique and you know fundamentals and I do think I could you know bounce around from different positions I would like to actually have that challenge uh, going forward Mike I kind of want to build on that question for you um, 
I feel like once you get to that level, or I guess if you're at the grammar school or the high school level, players look up to their coaches and they say, what can I do to prove my worth to my coach? But once you get up to that Division One or professional level, it's more, I feel like the tables turn. Obviously, I'm far away from that level myself, but I feel like as a coach, it's more like, what can I do to prove to my players that I'm here to better them? And for a guy who played at not the level that you're coaching, and for a person who hasn't coached at that position, I mean, talk about how challenging that is and, and how much you really got to dig in to really show up on day one and prove to these guys that you're going to make them better. You know, it's, it's not an instant thing. It's, uh, I think my previous boss, uh, Coach Kiernan at Concordia, he said it best, like, you're not going to instantly gain the trust of your players, but it's going to be a gradual thing, and you've got to understand that it starts with day one of talking to your guys about, you know, you care beyond the X's and O's. You care about their grades. You care about their upbringing. You care about stuff that's going on at home. Um, and the more conversations you have that are not about football, the more trust you build to be able to coach a guy hard on the football field and know that you have their best interest in mind. So I think that's the approach that has helped the best for for me in my first couple of years of coaching is just, you know, have, you know, call guys in, ask them how they're doing, ask them, about stuff that has nothing to do with school and or football and you know get to know them on a personal basis so that when they mess up or you're trying to push their potential like they don't take it personally they more or less know that you're looking out for their best interest and that's the best advice i can give the coaches at any level like high school elementary school you know ask them about their day ask them about what they have going on because sometimes football is an escape for them to get out there and just get away from what they're dealing with and you don't really know what's going on at home. So when you ask those questions, sometimes it's a relief. And then you build that trust and you're able to, you know, have a relationship that lasts really beyond the four years of, of coaching. Yeah, it starts with respect. Need to build a relationship. Love that. Let's talk about a little bit of the relationship that the head coach of the UB Bulls football program has built. Everyone talks about the Buffalo Bills culture and what Sean McDermott's doing at One Bills Drive. I don't think enough gets talked about this UB football program and what Leipold has been able to do. Again, he's he had to do the same thing that you and Fran are doing, coming from a D3 to a D1 program, and he's the head guy. So I can't imagine what that process must have been like. Fran, let's start with you. What is the culture on this program? What makes it so successful? How is there an immediate imp- How has he made an immediate impact? Sure. I think <clears throat> coaches uh, just does a great job of just creating like that family at- atmosphere that we just talked about. Um, you know, e- even the incoming freshmen this year, I think they they kind of see how we operate and and just how much kind of what what Mike touched on, just how much like the coaches care and and Leipold's just really done a good job of just kind of instilling that nature. And, you know, football, it's tough because especially when you do play fortunate enough to play as long as we have, like we're away from our, our families for a lot of the major holidays, whether it be Thanksgiving and, and this year literally playing on Christmas Day. And I, I don't think the players would buy into that unless Leipold Institutes and and kind of just puts, you know, just let, lets guys aware that, yeah, you know, this is your this might as well be your family, too. And um, just, just making sure um, guys are as comfortable as possible and, and, and can reach out to the coaches whenever they whenever they, they may need to do. This past season had to have been fun as hell for both of you with the success the program had. Uh, talk about how a team like this 
and again, this is a weird year with COVID and uh, a limited schedule, but when your team is rolling, how do you? How did Coach Leipold, or even you guys, uh, we'll start with Mike, how did you guys keep the team, you know, what McDermott always says, stay humble, stay hungry. How did you guys instill that new B to keep moving forward? You guys were literally rolling teams in the max. So how did you keep them motivated to keep wanting to get better? So, you know, like Adam talked about with the culture, it's about details. Uh, Coach does a great job of explaining why small details and how they add up to, um, you know, bigger things like compound interest of, you know, just being able to show up every day and practice like a professional, um, you know, and if, if we don't start off on the right foot of practice, like we restart, you know, like that's something that is the details are something that we do not take for granted. Uh, and our players have bought into that. So when you talk about our season this year, you know, we, we had a great season last year, won, won the Bahamas Bowl, but that wasn't our end goal. We wanted to be, we wanted to do things that hadn't been done in the program. And in order to do that, you had to do things that we haven't done yet. So that practice standard through all the COVID protocols and having our season canceled, we had a shorter season, which means we just have more, we just have more energy to show up and, and take care of business. So every day really was a, a challenge. Uh, but they didn't move on. They didn't look ahead. It was like whoever we were playing, you know, that next week was who we were playing. So when we played Akron, you know, we could have, you know, teams could have looked ahead, um, you know, to the to the next opponent. But no, like we we were focused on the team we had to play, and uh, and that's just that's kudos to Coach Leipold and the, and the full time guys because it really starts there. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's really to answer your question is. Coach Leifold has instilled the mentality of it doesn't matter what's two weeks ahead, it matters what's right now. And apply yourself 110% and trust that, you know, we're putting you in the best situation to, to win. I don't want to diminish the adversity you guys really faced the whole year, like we talked about the, the COVID protocols and whatnot, but the real – the real adversity on the field you met was that MAC championship loss. And you guys mentioned you wanted to do stuff that hasn't done before. There's only been one MAC championship in UB football history. You guys were the favorites this year. You fell short. What was that week like preparing for your bowl game against Marshall? And how did you guys regroup? Fran, we'll start with you. Sure. Um, you know, obviously just a tough loss. And um, I, I think a lot of it was, you know, it, it was tough for the guys, but um I think it was a short clock and guys kind of reset and, and honestly, they were, they were just uh, ready to get right back to work, which was great. Um, short turnaround only, you know, uh, losing on the Friday and we had to play Friday again, only getting our opponent on that Sunday. So we only had a couple of days to practice. And I, I think guys, um, it would have been really easy for them to just, uh, I guess what's cool around the country now is just opt out for a bowl game, but um, having most of our guys, you know, decide to play and want to finish this thing right. Um, what, what was really a big theme, just, you know, f finish what we started, you know, we shouldn't let one game just, um, just kind of like end this and end the season on a sour note. Um, and I think to your point, like here, like watching these guys being told that they weren't going to have a season initially was just heartbreaking. So, I mean, the minute that they were told, you know, we're going to have a season, I think they kind of understood the magnitude, like, look, there, there's thousands of, college players across the country that don't get this opportunity to play. And I think they, they really did a good job of understanding that and um, just kind of rose to the occasion and, and were able to sell out for a bull win. Yeah. And I'd like to piggyback off that is like, you can tell a lot about the culture of your team, you know, after you lose. And um, 
it was obviously not what we wanted. And being also here in 2018 when we lost to NIU, that was tough. And this was this was a tough loss. But what we were able to then have the opportunity to go and still do was something that not many teams in the whole country used to get to do. And that's what play a bowl game, you know, on Christmas Day. So the guys were extremely mature about, okay, that's not, that's not how we wanted it to go. But we have a, an amazing opportunity to go out and play a really good Marshall team. Um, and, and, and win back-to-back bowl games, which is something that's never been done at UV either. So, you know, it's just seeing the silver lining to the opportunity. And, you know, this is a great team and a great culture. And there's, you know, next year we'll go after it and, you know, hopefully be back in the MAC championship and get another opportunity to do make that history. Mike, we talked off air a little bit about that Marshall matchup, and I asked you about this offensive line that obviously is it's getting the credit they deserve. I know that the uh, pro football focus college ranked them one of the top three offensive lines all year. All five starters were named to the all Mac team, which is wild to I think, think it about. Was the PFF grades. PFF grades, yes. Thank you. Um, so, and I asked you off air, is is it? Was it the competition playing in the MAC, or are they really that good? Could you elaborate on the answer you gave me? I thought it was perfect. Yeah, I mean, I, I think our guys are really tight knit. They're really well coached by Coach Books and Coach Matos. It's uh, you know the communication is is everything. It's the ability to go up to a line and recognize a defensive front or what the defense is doing. And Mike Davitsky, our center, he does an incredible job for being an underclassman of, of, of being the you know. Uh, front and center guy for us to to call out the mic and to make the adjustments needed. And I think that based on what we do offensively and any of our offensive coaches, you know, we, there's a rhyme or a reason and there's an adjustment. And as long as they're, as long as, as long as the teaching is there, which I think that we have great teachers on our staff, you know, we're able to go out and run against any scheme, any, any, against any defensive team. So I'm um, not saying that we're going to put up, 500 yards against a you know power five team but i think that what we do and how we do it and how we approach practice every day we can we can go out and, and run the football with with how hard a jared patterson and kevin marks runs the ball and i love those guys so i'm biased so but it's it's uh when you step back and look at it what they've done this year is is truly remarkable uh and it's been fun on defense too to have those guys running, on, running how they have been on offense so but yeah, I think that 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 really, if that hopefully that answers your question, Dan. But you know, I, oh, yeah. I think we we've done a great job as a as an offensive uh, staff, just putting the guys in position to be able to to run the ball effectively. Yeah, you mentioned Jared Patterson and Kevin Marks, and I'd say, you know, this time right now, UB football is pretty much in I would call it uncharted waters, uncharted territory because every day I log on to Twitter it's a new guy who might have foregone his senior year to to pretty much declare for the NFL draft and that's not that's not normal for for a Mac school you know there's been a lot of development here and I want to ask specifically about Mike you've been around Jarrett Patterson um, and Kevin Marks for a few years now I would I would argue you know a big reason why the Mac championship game was such a struggle was because the team was never really in a situation like that because you're able to run the ball so successfully and build leads on teams. And when you weren't able to do that in the Mac championship game, things got a little shaky and it was awesome to see you bounce back against Marshall. But besides the point, I want to ask you, you know, you see Patterson 
um, decide to forego his senior year. Um, talk about what he, you know, has done for the program and, and feel free to talk about Kevin Marks as well, because he's certainly built a great reputation as well. Yeah, I feel like Kevin, you know, uh, Jared has done some incredible things, but Kevin deserves just as much credit. He's an incredible back, but both of them are great people. You know, I just talked to Kevin yesterday. He got a 3.5 this semester. And two years ago, when I happened to be an academic role, was a, you know, he was, he was, he was, he was, you know, trying to, you know, get in that zone of, you know, academics are really a priority. And just to see the growth there, um, you know, by Kevin is, is something I'm really proud of for him but you know in regards to Jarrett you know you can talk about thousands of yards he's rushed forward he's second all time in QB but you're not going to find a better person to be around and just talk to the kid is at every single community outreach pro, uh, thing we have um, you know and it's just how he carries himself I, I think I posted something on Twitter about him being a professional since day one and I really meant that he's He's shown up as a fourth string running back, uh, the, you know, gray shirted, you know, my first month there, we were both, you know, kind of trying to figure it out our way. You know, there was Emmanuel Reed and, you know, Jonathan Hawkins and uh, another running back that was ahead of him and he was getting five reps of practice and every rep that he took, he was, you know, making the most of it. So to watch that come up has been really, really cool because his, his work ethic hasn't changed. You know, it's just something that over time it just compounds. So, and Kevin's the same way. They they are so supportive of each other. When really, if you look at another team, they you know they have every reason to be fighting for carries, but they have a mutual understanding that when one succeeds, the other's going to succeed, and when one's not having a good game, the other one's going to step up. Um, you know, Kevin Marks had over 100 yards in half our games this year. I think that's something that people don't that don't realize is. Uh, you know, Kevin's going to do some incredible things next season, and I'm really, really excited to be able to, you know, watch that. His time is is, is coming out, so it's, it's going to be it's going to be good. I'm really excited. Absolutely, um, 100% looking forward to that. I want to ask you both this question, Mike. Just piggy p- piggyback off of Adam. I'm going to give it to Adam first here. You guys are both grad assistants. Now, that obviously means the pay isn't extremely high, but I want to know, the work is still like a full-time position the more I talk to you guys about this. So I want you to tell us and tell our listeners about maybe, Adam, bring us through a typical day in your life during the season, not a game day. So a Tuesday or Wednesday during the year. If you want to talk about the offseason, go ahead. But I don't think our fans or our listeners know exactly the work that goes into it. And, Adam, being a graduate assistant means being – you know, having the ability to maybe attend some grad classes, and I know you've taken advantage of that, and I want to congratulate you on a fall semester 4.0. Appreciate it, guys. Um, yeah, and uh, I mean, just to, uh, just to start off, I mean, even before this year, the last year and a half, like, I didn't even understand, like, the magnitude of the work that, like, Mike had, had been doing um, when, when he started, because um, obviously he started before me. Um, but, I mean, a, a typical day, I mean, especially just with this year, I mean, the first thing we do when we step in the building is get the COVID testing and that's added even more time to, to the day. Um, just getting there that much earlier to make sure that, you know, first of all, we're, we're going to work in a, a safe and healthy environment for the day. Um, and like, just real quick, just hats off to the medical staff and, and all the guys that just, you know, made that possible this year too. Cause there were some programs that couldn't play 
um, at all this year for, for just those reasons alone, whether it be financial or just didn't have uh, the capacity to just, you know, in, ensure like a safe and healthy environment. So um, that's pretty much how we started every day was just making sure that, you know, everyone was good to go and um, just COVID free. And then, you know, right after that, we're, we're getting ready for practice, which um, there's a lot that goes into it, uh, which again, just coming from D3 and, and just even high school, didn't really understand the magnitude of, you know, how, how much prep preparation goes into just a practice, not just a game, obviously, you know, scouting and, and, and game planning, but just, just, uh, just the practice was uh, like, it's, it's, it's each, um, it's, it's own Super Bowl really. Um, and then same goes for, you know, after practice, just, you know, w watching all the film, watching all the clips and, and just seeing where, where guys can improve and, um, you know, make adjustments as necessary. And then kind of after going that, just, you know, getting ready for the next day already. And then um, Mike can probably test this. And b before you know it, it's already five, six, seven o'clock. And um, you're wondering where all the time went. What? Yeah. Go ahead, Mike. No, I was just going to piggyback off of what Adam said. And, you know, it's so this, this year was, was tough for everyone. And Brian brought our, our team doctor and the medical staff. And, like, they, they work more hours than anyone. You know, so we really – don't have much room to, to, to complain um you know but like we'd be up at what was it adam we were at, at the field house at five setting up setting up meeting rooms which so that we can have meetings in open space and, uh you know then we test and then we come in and make sure the scout cards are right and go out to practice uh you know and we're doing running the scout team offense and the special teams and making sure individual uh drills are set up for the full-time coaches and after practice, Adam's running in, uh, inputting the data for the film so we can watch the film right away. Two hours later, we're done with the film. And then, you know, we're, we're waiting on, you know, coaches to script practice so we can draw the scout cards. And then, like Adam said, fast forward, it's 9 p.m. And, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're looking to get home and, and catch a few hours of sleep just to turn around and do it again. Um, so a lot of the work that we do is on the back end at night, you know, the hours that, you know, you'd think are your home. You know, the coach has got to be home. You only coach so many hours out of the day. A lot of those, a lot of those hours that we put in are, uh, you know, after the full time these guys leave and making sure everything's set and ready to roll for uh, efficient practice the next day. And then, um, like like you said, Mike, kind of once that's all done, um, the the half hour hour that you have before going to bed, it's like, well, trying to decide, well, do I want to hang out in that last hour or should I really just dedicate that hour towards schoolwork? And it's like it's not always the easiest decision to make and um, yeah, I'm sure just, that's, that's real easy in your house, Adam. I'm sure you have very supportive roommates that help you study and whatnot. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that's for sure. Um, so I, you just couldn't do it without the support system. Yes, right. Um, yes. but, uh, uh, yeah, just, just a lot going on. And I, I think Mike did a really good job of outlining that. So guys, I, I do have one last question, but you talked about the work you put in and I, I'm not saying this just cause you guys are my two good friends, but you both have the personality to with the, with the work ethic you have to do great things in the coaching, the coaching aspects. So I want to say that first, but I do want to know only one of you. And now I will say if I had to choose who would be the face of the UB sideline, I would have chose the chiseled jaw and the beard, but they chose the baby face lanky kid for with the yellow hoodie. So I want to know what powers that yellow hoodie has and what exactly it's for and why it's so important that you have that yellow hoodie on the sideline. 
Yeah, so it, it's really just to try and distract the the opposing team's quarterback when he's making his reads yeah. downfield and uh, when he's going through his yeah. green five-step regression. Yeah, because Big Bird's um, on the sideline calling in plays. I didn't, right. mean, I didn't mean that, Fred. Um, I'm just kidding. But just pretty much. Oh, I, hey, Nick. All right. I guess I couldn't kind of done any of the academics without him. Yes. That's yeah. my financial guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. I grew up on the camera. <laughs> Um, uh, so really, it's just to get the defense, the your defensive back's attention, correct? Because so he sticks on the sideline because you're calling in the defensive back signals, right? Just to be seen on the sideline, um, and obviously it's for whoever's watching the game, um, just you know, just an easy kind of landmark to look for when they're when they're watching the TV. Just yes, say, yeah. look for the guy in the yellow, right? Um, yes. But yeah, just to, just to be make sure the defense just just sees where I'm at on the sideline. All right. Well, I don't understand that. What do you mean by that? Maybe I sound like an idiot or a fool, but so if he was wearing blue, Bill, and he's trying to call in sidelines with everybody so else, so he's in, calling in. He's calling in defensive back signals. Okay, got it. So, oh, I have a question, Fran, and I don't know how much you can divulge because I'm sure Lance Leipold's a very loyal listener to Buckets and Dan. How many? Like, I'm sure someone scouting the game might be just filming you and trying to pick up on signals. Maybe not. I don't know. I would try to do that. So, how do you have to throw in a lot of decoy signals as well? Well, sure. Like I said, um, you know, just try, like never this breaking is gonna be character. A company answer. Holy smokes! I can already tell. Go ahead. <laughs> just you know, I, I I do a good job of never breaking character, yeah. and you know, sometimes just doing some you know hand signals when the offense is out there too. And like I said, you know, just really just doing my best to try and attract the other team from. Uh, um, from from staying focused because the yellow is pretty loud. Um, loud. <laughs> just you know, just making sure it can just really get in the opposing team's head. That's fair. All right, well, gentlemen, we can't thank you enough again for two good friends to be doing such good things for a local powerhouse. It's really fun to see and fun to talk to you. So, Mike, thank you so much for your inaugural 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 geez, visit on buckets and Dan. Hopefully, we have you on in the future. For sure, appreciate you guys. Adam, you know it's always a pleasure. It's it's fun busting chops, but like I said, you do have a, a bright future, and we can't see, can't wait to see where it takes you. So for buckets, I also want to uh, thank you, and we appreciate your time as well. Appreciate you guys. Always a pleasure. Thanks. All right, thanks guys. Have a good one. Yeah, you too. Best of luck, guys. Alrighty then. Thank you again, Adam and Mike. Again, two good friends, two great coaches. We expect to look back at this in 10 years and be like, wow, remember when we had those guys on Buckets and Dan? So we look forward to that. Bill, let's talk about this past Bills game. Another one that we get to just laugh through. They are rolling. We will get to our takeaways in a minute. But just your immediate reaction after the game, what was it? I just It's fun being a fan right now. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of talk about the future. And, and I got... I got the truth told to me on Twitter by Mr. Wegren when I was talking on Twitter about Bill's future opponents and national TV games I'll have in 2021. And he told me on Twitter, Mr. Football 716, <laughs> told me, just enjoy the present. And he's absolutely right. And there's a lot of talk about percentages, and we'll get to that and who the Bills might play. But the better and better we get, the more and more I'm just trying to live in the present and just actually enjoy it. Because we spent a lot of time, Dan, talking about the 2006 Sabres. We got to live in this present right now. <laughs> yeah, we do. That's why they call it a gift. Wow, that's that's a good line, Bill. Did you come up with that? Don't worry about it. Okay. Let's go over our keys. My first key versus the Patriots was to stay disciplined. Penalties and turnovers, again, are the only way that inferior teams stick around. 
Bills did very good. They did not have any turnovers. Davis did fumble on a great peanut punch by their defensive back, but he was able to recover it. Bills did very well for the – I mean, again, they're one of the worst penalized teams in the NFL, so they only had three for 27 yards. The one by Trey White I thought was a little iffy, but he definitely seemed to get there a little early. But I thought other than that, they played very disciplined football. Absolutely, Dan. Your other key was to load up the box and force Cam to throw. How about the statistics that came from that? Yeah, Cam was just 5 for 10 for 34 yards. Stidham 4 for 11, 44 yards. They were so bad from the beginning. And you know what? It's a typical – like, it's – this is, this is the norm we need to start expecting, and we have to get rid of the mindset we've had for 20 years because think about, like, in 2013, this would be like a typical Bills play where they, they, they have a great trick play that works to perfection on the first first drive. They're at home. It's a primetime game. The fans are buzzing. The, uh, a, a very, like, a high-prominent opponent comes in. You're looking for the upset, and you just drop that one right away. Now, I don't think that any had any difference on the outcome of the game, but it certainly would have changed the momentum at least a little bit early on. But they they did not they did not look well. They did not look good passing. And I, I didn't think our run defense looked good immediately. I thought Edmonds really struggled, especially on that touchdown run by, by Newton. It looked like me trying to make a tackle in high school. So, um it, I think they did – I, I, you know what? I just talked about this with Coach Bowsey today. I think their second-half adjustments the past few weeks, offensive and defense, have been phenomenal. They've been – I mean, I don't care what offense what it is. If you shut a team out in a half, that's a great job. And it's another, like, example of them coming a long way. They couldn't really close out the 49ers till late. You know what I mean? The last three weeks, they've put the clamps on and not let any chance of a comeback coming back. You know what I mean? Sounds like such an old school thing to say, but it's so true. Allen is getting, and deservingly so, so much credit right now. But holy smokes. I mean, Dan, for the last 20 years, we've watched quarterbacks, and they've been bad, but they 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 get the snap, and they are under pressure. And this offensive line, not a ton of people are talking about it. They are doing a hell of a job, hell of a job. Allen is sitting back in that pocket, and it's just the perfect, perfect marriage because when he needs to escape and extend the play, he can, but he doesn't really need to no, for the first four or five seconds. It's it's amazing what bookend tackles can do. Those guys are both pro bowl, all pro worthy. In my opinion, you got Morse playing at a much higher level since coming back from the injury. Feliciano's obviously made a huge difference, and having those four, can you can hide a guy like Ike Bodker, who I didn't think had a strong game to start. I was going to say that. But you're able to compensate. And listen, and I don't – I'd have to really look at the tape, which I'm not going to. <laughs> so, But I don't think there's any – I don't think it's just a coincidence that playing Lee Smith-Morris has helped with protection and the offensive line as a whole. He is literally just another tackle on the offensive line. He's even catching some ball. And, and that's the thing about Lee Smith, man. You're not going to cover him. <laughs> Our defense is getting confused and thinking he's a tackle. Yeah, and I when mean, he rolls out, mass wide open. So I, I really – and I don't like – I think they should still cut him at the end of the year to save some cap. Uh, he, they seem to absolutely love him. love him in the locker room. I know fan, he's not a fan favorite. He's not a fan – he's not a favorite of mine. But I do think he's making a very positive impact on this offense, which leads to your key. You want to let our passing attack – you know, keep it rolling a little bit, or were they going to try to stick to that run game? I think people forget, just like the Chiefs game, I think people forget that the wind was howling, the weather was crappy, and I guess you will have to find a way to win like that in the playoffs, but 
That was why the Patriots were able to do that. They didn't have to do it this game, and they threw it all over them. And we'll get to those exact stats in a little bit. To me, it was I talked about it at length last week. It was the monkey off the back game for Allen. Hasn't had a ton of success against New England, and he looked fantastic Monday night. Belichick was all sorts of frustrated. Um, and, Dan, one other thing before we talk about the scores and such. I, I texted this to you Monday night. If, you know, for, for say, for some random reason, Belichick retired after this year. I'm not expecting it, not anticipating it. That is a, awful destination. That is an awful destination. With Belichick, for it's a go. bad destination. Listen, this team, I mean, you think about the New England standard, and they've been so, so good for 20 years. The cupboards are bare there, Dan. There's not a lot of talent. Cam Newton stinks. Feel bad for him, man. And I think a big he, – he went vegan. He went vegan. I think that's been terrible for him. You look at some of his highlights for Carolina when he had a little bit more beef to him, a little bit more beef stock. You know, I think he was a much more powerful, much stronger player then. He, his mechanics are a mess. Stidham looks just terrible. So they need a quarterback, and they just don't have much talent around it. And it's just the Robert Kraft thing and the pressures there. That would probably be the worst coaching job if it ever opened up. Yeah, and I know my cousin Dan's going to listen to this and start flipping out and text me immediately. I just think that this team is not very well constructed right now. I, and you got two guards that are, I think are both up for a contract in Shaq Mason and Joe Tooney. I know, I think Tooney's playing on the franchise. They're going to have cap. That's the one thing that they will. They have. will, but I don't know how much they have to recite. I don't know how much it's going to drop. And again, why? I don't know. I think that New England fans. Maybe I'm wrong because it's funny. I was going to say they're biased toward Belichick. I'm certainly biased anti-Belichick. I don't know if I'm a player that I'd want to go play for a guy like that that now doesn't have Tom Brady to use as a chip, a bargaining chip. They talked about this on Monday night, and I'm not sure how much intel Lewis Riddick and Brian Greasy have. And by the way, they did a fantastic job Monday night. They're not paying me to say that. Um, but what I will say is they talked about McDermott, and, and Lewis Riddick talked at length about McDermott being that process guy, that very stick-to-the-script guy, very serious all the time. And he said he's kind of lightened up. He's allowed players to be a little bit, a little bit more individual, have more fun, and kind of just go play and have – like they talked about it so much. I've never seen a broadcast give so much love to the Bills. How much fun the Bills were having was so evident on Monday night. Do you think McDermott has kind of changed his tune a little bit? I know he's changed his tune in terms of his offensive scheme, right? He's We're getting and real aggressive with yep. these fourth down calls. Yep. We're not punting the ball much. What do you think, Danny? Is he kind of loosened up? And I, th I think it's easy to do that the more you win. Yeah, so he, he did say in the postgame, I got to be the bad guy still. Yep, but yep. he's got – obviously he has the respect of the room. Yeah, and also you have leaders in the locker room that are also kind of goofy. Like Deion Dawkins is a goofball, but he's one of your leaders. Josh Allen, same thing. He can be a goofball. He seems like a huge nerd, but – Loves video games. Yeah, but he's – again, he's when they, when they need to – it seems like when they need to buckle down, there's not a guy that they need to corral. You know what I mean? Everyone's on the same page. They all got the same mission. But th that's my point. Like, I, And we don't see Bill Belichick behind the scenes. Okay, but you're telling me that – and I guess some players might say that, you know, your past resume speaks for itself, but if you see – watch two guys on the sideline, I don't think there's any decision at all who you'd want to play for, McDermott versus Belichick. I, I, I just think that that act that he has is going to run thin now that he doesn't have Brady leading him to wins. I really do think that, and I am, like I said, very biased. I, I don't like the guy. 
I am sick of him dominating us for 20 years. I, but if you look at that team, they will get some players back next year that all opted out, and I understand that. But you're losing Gilmore, and that J.C. Jackson that's supposed to step in got absolutely torched by Stephon Diggs. And he has not been good since getting that. I'm telling you right now, if you look at the stats, I just read an article in The Athletic by a Boston reporter. His numbers have been horrible since being the number one corner. It's very easy to be the number two corner with Stephon Gilmore across from you. It's hard to be a number one corner in the NFL. <laughs> I don't even remember Levi Wallace's name getting mentioned Monday night. Yeah, it's a wanna, good thing. I want to ask you this. Totally forgot about this guy again. I don't I I, I preached it earlier in this show. I don't want to get caught up in the future, but it makes you think when you think about the opt out. Do we see Starla Tulale in a Bills uniform next year? I totally forgot about him. I think it it hurts the cap more to cut him than to just Or have... does he want to come back? I mean, I just picture it as a, a full year away a full year away from football. Hopefully make a playoff run. Is he going to want to come back? It's kind I of think, a weird dynamic. I think it's killing him that he's not with you the think team. So. Yes. And I think that you have he obviously stepped away for family or his own health reasons, which and he had a heart issue coming in. Or to, he just to the d- NFL. didn't want to play. I don't see that. I think that's I unfair to, to speculate on that. I, but I think it's killing him now watching the success the team has had. I mean, if you're a football player, you've played football your whole life, you love it, you're in the NFL, it's your passion. I don't think that's changed at all over this over this time. And hopefully he comes back, makes uh, the same difference he made before, and makes his team even better. Um, it's the worst look in Belichick's career. Again, he looked frustrated, overwhelmed. It was awesome. He's slamming phones, which made, which has made for some amazing tweets. Yep. Um, I, this offense has literally looked unstoppable. And I know the, the quality of competition, for as much as I'm going to say later in the show, like the Ravens I'm not afraid of. They've been beaten up on bad teams. You can kind of say that for the Bills as well. But oh, averaging – over 400 yards a game the last five games. They're excuse me. This is overall averaging over 400 yards a game. They're second in the NFL with 282 passing yards a game. They're now sixth in points. They're over 50 percent on third down. That is just a crazy stat to me. They've regained their spot at first in the NFL. The last five games, five and zero, 34 points a game. In those five games, Josh Allen nearly 1,500 yards. 13 touchdowns, passing touchdowns to two interceptions, two more rushing touchdowns. But I think the biggest, and I think you'd agree with me, the offense has been there kind of the whole year. It's the defense that's been the the biggest story here. They're now top 10. They've cracked the top 10 in yards allowed. But if you look at this DVOA, now for those of us that don't know what it is, like me before I really looked into it, I'm going to read you verbatim what Football Outsider says. It's the main statistic used at Football Outsiders. It breaks down the entire season play-by-play, comparing success on each play to the league average based on a number of variables, including down, distance, location on the field, the current score gap, the quarter, and opponent quality. I don't know how they do that, but if that's the case, then it probably is the most accurate defensive measure you can use. Um, It can be used as a measure of total team performance. It differs from other power ratings found throughout the web because it can be broken down to analyze team effectiveness in any number of ways in terms of down, quarter, rushing versus receiver, location on the field, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, five weeks ago at their bye week, the Bills ranked 12th in the NFL in total and weighted DVOA. Since then, the Bills have had five straight games with a DVA over 40%, which is outstanding. That's improved them to fifth in the NFL and third in weighted DVOA. Kansas City, in the meantime, the, the main competition, I think you'd say, to the Bills reaching the Super Bowl, they've had a small lead the whole season, but they've been much less consistent, especially of late. And it's shown. Kansas City is kind of stumbling. In your opinion, Bill, is Kansas City just bored, or are they just on cruise control waiting to flip the switch? 
I don't think bored. I. Or do they have some real problems? I want to say they got real problems. You know, it, I think it's the easy, lazy thing to say that they're on cruise control. Still think they're the favorite. I because you know not because of anything else, but the fact that they have playoff experience. You know, teams that do well in the playoffs often have failed before. The Bills obviously have one year with this team mostly intact and, and losing that heartbreaking game. And I think that's going to help them this year in the playoffs, but the, the Chiefs have a lot of playoff experience at this point. So I don't know. <laughs> All right, that's fair. <laughs> uh, I think their run game is going to be an issue if they don't get Edwards Elaire yeah. back. I think, you know, the window, we could talk about this for a whole show. The window for these guys in their NFL prime at these skill positions, Le'Veon Bell is nowhere near where he was a few years ago. So if you're going to rely on that guy to get your 20 carries again, this Damian Williams, does he come out every – like he was – he came out of nowhere last year. Is that the same guy? Touchdown Damian. He looked great last week. Yeah, well, those, they're going to have to start riding those two. And again, hopefully for their sake, Edwards Lair comes back because he adds a much more dynamic factor to the offense, but we'll see. Speaking of skilled players in their prime, Bill, Stephon Diggs is so – goddamn good and he literally punked off jc jackson like i've never seen someone do before the game literally changed when jackson must have said something or did something in the end zone and that deep ball that was incomplete Diggs was right in his face talking with a smile on his face wagging his finger in his face and then just absolutely disrespected him the rest of the game caught a 50-yard touchdown in which the last 20 he was um, looking back and talking crap, almost stumbled his way into the end zone. He ends up with nine catches, 145 yards, three touchdowns. His last four games, he has 40 catches, 514 yards, and four overall touchdowns. Him and Allen are in love with each other. Do you see after the game when they're talking about, um, uh, you know, Allen's giving his, you know, your your company answers to what makes the offense so good, and he says, you know, when I'm it's third down or if I'm in a tough spot and I, I need somewhere to be open, you know, Stefan's always open. He really knows me inside and out. And Diggs looked at him and kind of went, huh, like kind of messing with him, and Allen muttered under his breath, I hate you, on national television. So you can see that the personal relationship is there, the professional relationship is there. That roll out to the left, cross your body throw, was the best throw I've ever seen in I'm my entire life. He's made better throws this year. I people are giving that throw so much love, and we're splitting hairs if we're talking. What are you? I feel like I've seen throws? him make that throw before. He, it was a great throw. That was thirty to thirty-five yards in the air, on a, across your body, sprinting away. I think if I look at his highlights, I can give you six to seven better throws he's made this season. People are talking about that throw. It's the best throw they've ever seen. I, he does that stuff all the time. Which is great as a Bills. He's fan. got a strong arm. He's going to be able to make, and he's super athletic. He's going to be able to make that throw. Like, how about the throw against Arizona? Against uh, 30 seconds left, pressure pressure situation. Okay, that to me is out. the same throw, except he's stepping up into a pocket, and I guess you could weigh the situation. it as the situation. Fine. All right, that's fine. I, that's that's a good point. I also think that a very underrated throw, I don't know if it was, I think it was the Denver game, where he steps up and threads the needle to Beasley on like a 20-yard out again to the left, and it like – there was a spot that only the football could fit between the linebacker at 15 yards and the defensive back trailing Beasy, which I thought was unbelievable. Let's talk quickly. I want your opinion on this. There were some key drops, some frustrating drops in that game, and it, you got to think for the future. Uh, Gabe Davis, I will say the ball that he dropped was a fastball. That thing was coming at him real hot. The Dawson-Knox situation is a little bit more concerning, although after his big drop in the end zone, game. seemed to catch everything yep. thrown his way. Um 
does the Knox drop catch? Or I don't know how I worded that correctly, but does the Knox dropping situation, you know, concern you at all? Yeah, I think it does. But it's again, he's he's going to need more reps and more time. I mean, he's a great athlete. Maybe he's a great athlete that just doesn't have outstanding hands. So maybe the throw does need to be right there. But it he, was there. He did. Yeah, true. He he. Taiwan Jones. He does make some frustration. Yeah, the Taiwan Jones one. Uh, this is one thing I had a problem with a little bit. They got, but okay. So actually, I'm going to combine two points here. I had a problem with it, but also it shows how cocky they are in the offense, and I love it. They had no respect for New England from the beginning. Trying to break that record on the first possession, giving the ball to Roberts on a sweep and Singletary on a swing pass, you're not going to do that when you're really trying. Like, that's not your best play in the offense. And the fake punt. The fake punt on your own 35, going for it on fourth down three times and converting every single time. They seemed to know that they were in control from the whole game, which was awesome, and it's such a different feeling as a Bills fan, especially against New England. It was it – was, to me, I had more fun watching that game than any game all year, and that includes the beatdown of Seattle. It includes the Pittsburgh game. It includes even the clinching game versus Denver. I don't think there was a more fun game all year. Yeah, I can't disagree with it. And this week we obviously are facing the Miami Dolphins, who put in Ryan Fitzpatrick, and uh, and this is something we'll talk about in a second. The the love that Brian Flores is getting over this I, is just mind-boggling to me. But they're a, in a win-and-get-in situation. They're fighting for their playoff lives. The Bills are not. So instead of a Bills-Dolphins preview, let's talk about this playoff preview as a whole heading into the final week of the season. Okay, William, we know that the Buffalo Bills are AFC East champions and will be the two-seed or the three-seed in this year's playoff. We do not know which, and we do not know who their opponent is. Heading into the final week of the year, the percentage odds of who we are going to play is Indianapolis at 28%, Cleveland 26%, Miami 23%, and Tennessee and Baltimore each at 12%. Thank goodness, because I don't want to play Baltimore. So real quick, before we get into it, rank your teams in the order of which you'd prefer to play them. To me, it goes Miami, Cleveland, Indianapolis, Tennessee, Baltimore. Would you agree with that? <laughs> yes. Okay, good. 100%. Okay, and I, and I don't want to see Baltimore, Tennessee, which is nice because they have the lowest percentage, but it's going to depend on a few different things. I want to talk about something quick. Miami won in a hilarious game last Thursday, I believe. So boring for the first three quarters. Then they put Fitz in, and then magic happened. You can question Gruden's decision-making. You can question whatever, but at the end of the day, Miami kind of needed a miracle, and they got the miracle. So Miami is 10-5 and five going into this last week, and people are saying, and again, people that are the this is even like Bills bloggers I'm seeing tweeting this, that Brian Flores is the clear leader, especially if they win and get in the playoffs. And they're talking about the way he's handled the quarterback situation as a positive. I don't understand what these people are looking at. Why is it – like, they're looking – this is not a normal thing to use pitchers as like relief pit – or excuse me – quarterbacks as relief pitchers, and that's what they said. Flores literally said, we're going to play Tua. If we need to call in the relief pitcher, we will. Why are pe- He screwed up by putting Tua in. I don't know how you can say that. I, how can you say this? Because Fitz clearly gives them the better chance to win. So if you're a playoff team and you're trying to win right now, I, I'm not saying he's not going to be, a, if you look at the past five years, coach of the coach of the decade or coach of those five years, but you cannot tell me that he's benefited his team this year by putting into a when he did. I don't know how you can say that. They're 10-5 and five with the chance to go to the playoffs. Nobody thought that. When you go back to the situation of them shockingly benching Fitz and starting Tua, I think they all were on board with the fact that they had to get a good look 
at Tua. Why? Because they have Houston's first-round pick, which is going to be a top-five pick. They're also going to have their own. They're going to have the ability to draft another franchise quarterback. We are living in an era where you got to you got to make the right decision quickly. If they did not take a good look at Tua and just hoped that he was the guy and hoped that he could develop, well, then you're kind of putting yourself in a tough spot heading into 2021 when you are hoping to have a playoff team, and you will probably never in the next foreseeable future have a chance to draft another signal caller. So for me, I think Flores has done a good job of balancing. It's looked unorthodox, but he's done a good job of of maintaining the respect between Fitzpatrick, who was pissed after he got benched, but seems to get the big picture right now, and so does Tua. They get along great. I guess they facilitated the situation fine. I can't sit here because the results speak for themselves and say that Flores has not done the right thing. I think that he needs to start Fitz in Week 17 to get him in the playoffs. But that's where I disagree, and that's it. Yeah, I, I don't know how you can – all right, fine. If you want to look at I mean, that, We don't fine. have to come to an agreement. You're that's, right. But I don't understand how you can't look at McDermott's resume this year and say that he's not – I'm the, not talking about that. All right. Well, other people are and say it's some more. Now, again, if you want to look at – like like Stefanski and Flores are getting praised because they took a team that hasn't done stuff for a while, and I guess the Bills were supposed to be kind of good anyway. But if that's the case, then McDermott should have won the award last year when it went to Mc, to John Harbaugh, who went 13-3. and if the Bills go 13-3, and three, even if they go 12-4, and four, they're resting starters last week, who cares? If they go 12-4, and four, they win the East for the first time in 25 years. They have a much harder strength of schedule. Miami is the third easiest strength of schedule in the NFL. Cleveland has the easiest strength of schedule in the NFL. So I don't understand how you could say it's more impressive. I know I went on a rant last week about it. I just I don't understand the Brian Flores love. I, I, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. I do understand the Brian Flores love. I just don't understand. <laughs> I... I am sitting here hoping that they don't draft a quarterback next year. Yeah, that's I don't. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like I to am me, not in is, on Tua. He is Tyrod Taylor. He needs he people is, to be wide open to throw it. We they talked about it. Kurt Warner talked about it during the game. There's Alabama open, and then there's NFL open. Yep. Fitzpatrick understands NFL open. He understands the tight gaps. These top quarterbacks, and I could talk about Dwayne Haskins in the same breath, who come from these perennial powerhouses are getting coached by really good coaches, and they're getting schemed. These receivers who are top-end elite athletes, better than their competition, are being schemed wide open so they can hit the open man and they can do all those things. But when it comes, when push comes to shove, I don't – again, here's my final take on Tua is I don't – I see him getting marginally better, making some better decisions, taking some more risks – He'll get 10% better over the next couple of years, but his ceiling to me is not that of what is even on the same planet as Josh Allen. So I hope to God that Tua does is the guy, right? Right. And I kind of hope that Sam Darnold is the guy because you kind of know who they are. And that gives you Josh Allen as the elite quarterback of this division for how many more years to come. Who has a higher ceiling right now, Tua or Sam Darnold? I think Darnold. I think he's got the better arm. He's Darnold, the one thing there that I've noticed with him, and people maybe not pick at this enough, he he's kind of a wacky decision maker. Yeah. He makes some weird decisions. Okay. I make some weird decisions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm wearing is a weird decision. All right, let's let's do this. We're going to play the, the live buckets playoff machine here. So you, I have the machine up in front of me. I'm going to go through each game. As it stands right now in the AFC, the Kansas City Chiefs are the one seed. The matchups would be 7-2, and two, Cleveland at Buffalo, 6-3, and three, Baltimore at Pittsburgh. That would be a fun game. And 
Miami at Tennessee, 5-4. and four. Indianapolis, because they choked away that last game, are currently out of the playoffs and do not control their own destiny. So, Bill, let's go through these games one by one. Knowing the situation where the Steelers are resting their starters, you would anticipate the Bills at least for part of the game resting their starters, if not the whole game resting key players. McDermott said today they have a plan. They're just not telling anybody. Classic. So, Bills-Miami. Miami with their playoff lives on the line. Who wins? I think Miami's going to win the game. I think Miami wins. Okay. How about Jacksonville at Indianapolis? Indy. Indy. Okay. Um, who cares about this game? Who cares about this game? Baltimore at Cincinnati. Baltimore. Who cares about this game? Pittsburgh at Cleveland. Cleveland. Okay, so so far every team that needed to win has won. Now here's where it gets interesting, and this is why I'm glad you brought up the Deshaun Watson factor before. Ross Tucker said this on Twitter. I don't know if I necessarily agree with it, but I, it is a popular take. All of these teams are not going to win Sunday. That's it, it's it's highly unlikely. Well, according to him, it's unlikely that five teams that need to win in Week 17 will win in Week 17. The least likely, I think, is Miami. The least I see now. To me, I think that Houston could be the trip up game. You might have Watson go off. You might have. Um, again, when they don't have the run game to support the passing game, that's a weird offense they have, and I think their defense stinks. So right now, going into it, would you say that Tennessee wins and that those teams go five and zero? Yeah. Okay. So nothing changes in the uh, in the seeding for you. We would be hosting Cleveland. Pittsburgh would be hosting Baltimore. We'd be the two seed, and Tennessee would be the four seed hosting Miami. So let's go over to the NFC. All right. Green Bay, that's still playing for something. Now, they're still playing for the number one seed against Chicago, fighting for their playoff lives in Chicago. Who wins? Um, Green Bay. Okay. How about Dallas at the Giants? Dallas. Saints at the Panthers. Saints playing for anything? Number one seed. Saints. Okay. Chalk, baby. Yeah, you are giving me nothing. How about the Cardinals facing the Rams? The Rams are going to be on a backup quarterback here because if Goff is out, and I think Cooper Cup is out too. Um, I think the Cardinals win with Kyler. Okay, that would f- bounce Chicago from the playoffs. Or actually, it didn't matter stinks. anyway. Chicago stinks. Chicago stinks. Okay. Um, Atlanta, Tampa Bay, Atlanta. You'd assume Tampa Bay, right? Yep. How about San Francisco, Seattle? Seattle. I think Rosen got to start that one. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And then, so the only thing it comes down to now is will Washington win at Philadelphia to clinch the division? No, I think Philly's going to win. You think Philly's going to win. So your playoff picture in the NFC is Green Bay gets the bye. The Saints as the two seed host LA. The Seahawks host the Cardinals, and the Cowboys host the Bucks. Yeah. Let's do a real. Let's do a quick playoff run through the bucket special here okay Cleveland at Buffalo Buffalo Baltimore at Pittsburgh Baltimore Miami at Tennessee Tennessee so then we have Baltimore at Kansas City Kansas City Tennessee at Buffalo 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 at Kansas City Buffalo whoa I mean come on at this point yeah I'm love not it. predicting it all right how about We're the best team in the league right yeah, now. Yeah, all right. Okay, settle down. <laughs> How about Tampa Bay at Dallas? Tampa is going to just kill them. Okay. <laughs> Arizona at Seattle. Ah, uh, Seattle. It's not even close. Rams at the Saints. 
This is a terrible week for TV football. I'll say the Saints. Now, before we keep going, I just want to let you know, from the start of this exercise to now, you've picked the favorite every single game in the NFL. Besides the Bills. Besides the Bills, yes. Besides the Bills in the AFC Championship game. I watch a lot. I know what I'm talking about. How about Green Bay hosting Tampa Bay? Ooh, that's a spicy second-round matchup, Green Bay, because of the home field advantage. That's, That's why. Seattle at New Orleans. Um, I got I got Seattle. I got Seattle in that. Seattle at Green Bay in the NFC Championship game. This is Green Bay. Green Bay. So Green Bay, Buffalo, Buffalo. Super Bowl. I, I really think it's going to be Green <laughs> Bay, Buffalo. And holy smoke, <laughs> sign me up for that. That's unbelievable. Think about Josh Allen week, what, four of his rookie season? Like, watch that game. I actually went back and watched that game like six months, or I don't know, when, it, when we were in the thick of this thing. <laughs> I watched a lot of that Allen Green Bay game. Holy smokes, how far we have come. What a day that would be. No Sabres game either. Do you have a winner of the Green Bay Buffalo? Bill's got to win the Super Bowl. Oh, <laughs> my. You heard it here first 34, on Buckets 30. and Dan. 34-30 Bills over Green Bay. I mean, are you picking Green Bay right now over the Bills in the Super Bowl? How can you pick against the Bills? We've been watching this <clears throat> team since we were in diapers. Yeah, I don't – Speaking of diapers, what? We're, we're dropping some off later. Oh right, yeah, um, yeah. That uh, I got. Mm. <laughs> Come on, baby, give it to me. I got Green Bay winning. I don't think I think Green Bay wins the Super Bowl Green year, Bay's regardless good. of who Green they're Bay's playing. Good. You know that defense is underrated. Yes, my and brain actually does tell me Green Bay wins the game, but but I, your heart, yeah. I like that. All right, so there you have it. Green Bay Buffalo. You Super got Green Bowl. Bay Bills too. I got Green Bay Bills. Yeah, let's go. Um, okay. And now let's send it over. You talk about oh. – you, you know what they say about Green Bay and Buffalo? Blue collar. This let's talk about another guy. blue collar guy, former Buffalo Bills tight end Jay Reamers. Can we give a disclaimer? Sure. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, there was some technical issues that there's going to be a gap in the middle. I'll do my best to edit it out, but that is the reason that it jumps from one question to another. Stick with us. This is one of our favorite interviews. He was fantastic, and he – he gave us the facts. He did, and he brought some strong opinions, too, which was nice. So here he is, Jay Reamersman. The bills make me wanna Our Buffalo Sports Blast from the past is brought to you by R.E. McNamara. Have you been working from home and noticing how many rooms need an upgrade? Call R.E. McNamara at 741-4819. From basements to bedrooms, kitchens to attics, and especially when you want to convert a room into your home office, R.E. McNamara has you covered. 741-4819. Johnson. In the end zone. Touchdown. Reamers pulls in the deflected pass. An 18-yard strike. And we said it was Jay Reamers time. We are very excited to welcome on as our Buffalo Sports Blast from the past, a nine-year NFL veteran who spent his first six years in Buffalo after getting drafted in the seventh round by the Bills in the 1996 NFL Draft. His 204 receptions and 20 touchdowns ranked second in team history for a tight end. Jay Reemersma joins us. Jay, we both wish you a happy holiday, wish you and your family well, and thank you so much for hopping on Buckets and Dan this morning. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, we love it. Jay Buckets here. Let's 
Let's uh, take it to where it all began. You grew up in Zeeland, Michigan. Were a three-star athlete, all-time leading basketball scorer. You played baseball. You played quarterback for the football team. What led you down the road of football, and what led you to Michigan? Oh, this is a great story. So I was playing all three sports, obviously, and you know we're a kind of back in those days we're uh, a kind of farm town. You know now you know we're more of an industrial manufacturing town and uh, upper middle class now. But back then it was just a farm town, and um, you know I was playing three sports, and my high school football coach was also the athletic director. And he knew my passion first and foremost most was basketball. And so I wanted to play basketball at the next level. And he caught me one day in school, brought me into his office and said, Hey, let me, let me talk to you for a little bit. It was going into my junior year. So I was just coming off a pretty good sophomore season and in particular in basketball, we were pretty good. And I was starting to get some recruiting and that type of thing. And he said, listen, he goes, um, you're also going to be the starting you know, quarterback for us in the next couple of years. We were kind of a powerhouse program at the time, and so I wasn't up as a sophomore on the football team, but I was in basketball. And he's like, let me ask you a question. How many six five, you know, 210-pound quarterbacks do you see walking around in major college sports? And then he said, before you answer that, how many six five, you know, guys are you aware of that play basketball that don't drunk too well? good point and 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 at that point you know i kind of he goes listen he goes uh you know six five white guys that don't jump very well are a dime a dozen in major college sports and six five quarterbacks that can throw the ball a ton are in high demand and so if you want to play at the highest level you should really consider playing quarterback at the next level and from that point on i kind of went through the recruiting process knowing that my uh intention was to play uh, football. And so that's kind of why I made the decision I did. So you go to Michigan, you're playing quarterback there. You actually start um, and appear in three games in the 1992-1993 season. Then what happens? How does the transition to tight end take place for you? Well, it was really divine intervention, honestly. I was playing quarterback, and, you know, ever since I was knee-high, I wanted to go to U of M with that winged helmet playing in front of 100,000 people and obviously have the ball in my hand on every snap, right? That's what quarterbacks do. And so I'm going back in two-a-days, and I'm vying for the starting position. Elvis Gerbach had just graduated. It was um, it was interesting. It was against uh, Todd Collins and myself that year for the starting job. You guys know Todd. Oh, yeah. He ended up in Buffalo. And um, I go back, I drop back to throw a pass to Imani Toomer, who's blazing down the middle of the field, and I throw the ball, and it goes about 30 yards end over end, and I feel this burning sensation in my throwing shoulder, and it goes into my elbow and that type of thing. And I'm like, that's weird. Being a tough farm kid, I shake it off, hoping the coach won't call another long pass the next play, right? And guess what he did? He did. <laughs> this time the Murphy – Mercury Hayes, who, you know, the safety fell down and the guy's wide open 50 yards down the field, and I literally chuck it as hard as I could, and it went about 15 yards, and this time it wasn't even close to being a spiral. And so the coaches are just like, what's the matter with you? And so from that point on, I knew something was wrong with my shoulder, and I went back to the doctors, got an MRI, and I had torn my rotating uh, rotator cuff in my throwing shoulder, which kind of rendered my quarterback days over unless I wanted to go through the the whole process of surgery and rehab and that kind of thing. And so that spring, 
that happened in the fall. So that spring after months of rehab and really not doing, you know, didn't have surgery. They said it was a partial tear. So rehab was the first option in the spring. It just wasn't, uh, returning back to strength and that type of thing. And, and Gary Moeller called me into the office and said, Hey, you're too good of an athlete to be sitting on the sidelines. We have a need at tight end. Do you want to try it for the spring? And if it doesn't work, you know, you can move back to quarterback. We'll have the surgery after spring ball, and you'll be good to go for the fall. And I, the rest is history. I learned how to get a three-point stance. I took off the red shirt that quarterbacks typically have, and all of a sudden I had to get hit for the first time in my, or in my uh, football career. So it was divine intervention, and uh, it, it parlayed into a nine-year NFL career. So I'm eternally grateful and obviously very blessed to have Partly that into a, a draft pick in Buffalo. Yeah, I'd say it worked out okay. And I, I re, I'm really interested to hear your answer to this question. So I don't know how much you follow the current Buffalo Bills roster, but they have a young tight end on their team, Dawson Knox, who went to Ole Miss as a quarterback. He transitioned to tight end as well. Didn't get a lot of reps with the, the high-powered offensive weapons they had on the outside there. And his progression to the NFL game has been a little slow. And there's some Bills fans that are a little fed up with him, but there's others that realize it takes time. So from your experience – what are the main challenges he's facing right now, and what is a benefit of being able to see the field as a quarterback from the tight end position? Well, I will just tell you my experience, and you know, I don't know when he transitioned. Did he transition in college, or is he doing it just in the NFL? No, in college. Okay, so I had two years of, of really getting my head beat in in college by Michigan coaches, and that was back in the day where you ran first and you threw right. – maybe 10, right? I mean, you ran all the time. (laughs) And so the biggest challenge for me was learning how to get in a three-point stance. I had never, ever been in a three-point stance. I had never hit anybody. I wanted to play defensive back. I did as a freshman. And then all of a sudden they realized I could throw the ball a ton and said, well, we don't want to get you hurt. So we're going to put you on the red with a red jersey and sit on the sidelines during defensive drills, you know? And so the biggest transition for me was blocking. And to this day, you know, I have naysayers that said, well, you know, Remersma really wasn't a great NFL blocker. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I lasted nine years, and I took care of defensive ends when I needed to. And obviously my strength was extending the field, getting up the two, you know, down the middle of the field against cover two, opening it up for Andre Reid and Eric Moulds on the outside, which is what a good tight end is supposed to do. So I would just encourage him to – constantly work on his blocking and his technique and in the nfl it is so much focused on technique you know you really have to uh be a student of the game and that's one of the things that propelled me is uh when you're when you play quarterback at least at michigan we were taught by one of the best quarterback uh coaches in the in the country and really in the nfl too cam cameron was my quarterback coach who was an offensive coordinator for a number of years in the nfl and just taught us how to process the game. So when I moved into the NFL, literally the first two steps into my route, I knew if I should be getting the ball or not. I mean, that's how focused I was on reading coverage and knowing the progressions and that kind of stuff. So you can really use that to your advantage if you're able to process the game and be a student of the game, which was one of my strengths. You had 77 catches over your junior and senior year at Michigan. And as you prepared for the 1996 NFL draft, where were your feelings at? Did you think you had a chance 
to be drafted earlier? Were you worried about not getting drafted? And what were your original thoughts about, you know, going to Buffalo? Funny story. I will tell you flat out, like I knew that, of course, you get agents, you sign an agent, and they all tell you you're going to get drafted in the first day. And I'm thinking, wait a second. I walked up the, the, the stadium there at Michigan, and I saw Kyle Brady, who was a first-round pick for Penn State, and I thought, that guy has, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't even look like him. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm thinking, if that's what an NFL tight end looks like, I got no chance. You know what I mean? So I, I would be perfectly honest. I uh, took a look at all the grad applications and had grad stuff, and I was going to go back to school and get a master's and, and, and try to do some things like that. But um, funny story, I, you know, you, if you know anything about my, my heritage, my last name's Riemersma, and we're Dutch. If you know anything about the Dutch – is that they're cheap, right? And so, <laughs> you, you, you know, when you go to lunch and you and you go Dutch, you know, you pay your way. Right? Oh, so right. I, I, not, <laughs> I never knew that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I never was going to have like an NFL quote-unquote draft party where I had a bunch of people over on my dime and I'm going <laughs> to feed them, right? So it was literally me and my wife, Tara, sitting down watching the NFL draft. And I remember my agent told me I would go, you know, early in the second day, which was middle of the rounds. Well, those all those rounds came and went, and then it got to be like, well, are we going to get drafted at all? And do you want to be drafted? Because at that point, you know, you kind of want to be able to pick the team you go right. to for the best chance you got. Anyway, make a long story short, I looked at Karen and I said, hey, listen, have you ever thought about where you wanted to go? What would be the best place? And she's like, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful to go someplace warm? You know, we're from <laughs> Michigan and – all this kind of stuff. And I looked at her and said, what would be the worst place? No lie. She says, <laughs> Buffalo. And I'm like, why Buffalo? She's like, have you ever seen the Weather Channel? They're always on location with this blizzard <laughs> and that true. blizzard. And I'm not kidding you, Marv Levy called no, no more than like two or three minutes later and said, hey, we're going to pick you with the seventh round oh, here, pick funny. 244. So funny story, but I will tell you, the good Lord had a plan. It was a wonderful fit for me. I loved the community. I loved the fan base, and it was just a great fit uh, personality-wise and player-wise because there was a group of great Christian uh, veteran players that took me under the wing and taught me how to play the game, which is really, really special. So, Jay, you you actually joined the Bills at an interesting time. It, the window was closing on those Super Bowl years Kelly, I know you didn't play your rookie year, but that was Jim Kelly's last year. Of course, he had to get carted off against Jacksonville in that playoff game. So when you did step on the field that next year, could you kind of feel as if the you know the tide was turning and the window was closed? Or did you look around that locker room and see guys like Thurman, Bruce, and Andre and say, well, there's still, there's still a bunch of winners and we still have Marv Levy and we still have a shot at this thing? Oh, I, I looked around and said we had all the pieces – um, to really make a run. I mean, you're talking about, you know, Reuben Brown. You got, you know, um, great defensive linemen. Bryce Pop is one of the best defensive players I ever played against, and I had to play him against him in practice. Um, so I felt like we had all the pieces in place. You know, Ted Washington. I mean, one of the things that you look at, and I like to look at how um, NFL teams build their program, right? Um you know, back in those days, we had a, a franchise quarterback. Interestingly enough, I think the Bills now have a franchise quarterback, right? Oh, yeah. Um, back in those days, they had, they paid people up front on both sides of the ball. I think that, you know, you look at your deep, current defensive line, offensive line, some of the 
things that are going on there. The strength of the team is those hogs up front that make a difference for us special guys, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, that get open and catch the ball and get all the limelight. But really, when you got the Reuben Browns, the Kent Halls, and others that are up front making holes for guys, it makes our job a lot easier. And so, anyway, I just look at, uh, looking back at the pieces we had, we always felt like we were in the playoff hunt until, you know, Tom Donahoe came in and just co- completely dismantled the team. And I think, you know, we, we've been reeling for – you know, decades because of that move. You know, I had Mr. Wilson call me uh, when I was in, in, in Pittsburgh and apologize and say, you wow. know what, uh, you told me what was happening, and and that's exactly what happened. The guy uh, dismantled the franchise and, you know, didn't tell him the truth, and uh, it's unfortunate. And I think now, but look at what happens. It's it's a rebirth of sorts. It's It's Buffalo. And, you know, circling the wagons, it's all those things that we had back in the heyday, and it's just exciting to see for these kids. Yeah, absolutely, and we are going to touch on that in a little bit, but I have a couple questions I want to ask first. So you step in year two in 1997, and you start eight games. You split time along with fellow tight end Lonnie Johnson. You're actually second on the team that year in touchdowns with six. Where did, Were you surprised at the immediate success you had, or were you confident in your own ability? And your first touchdown came in week three. Rob Johnson threw it to you against the Rams. Do you remember that play? Do you remember your emotion scoring your first touchdown? I do. It's interesting because my first NFL touchdown was, I think, I don't know, maybe like a, a 24-yard touchdown and my my first NFL reception and my last NFL reception was a 24-yard touchdown so I got good bookends yeah. but yeah I I remember um the day that I you know I, of course I started on the practice squad and then the Lions wanted to sign me thank the Lord I stayed in Buffalo right <laughs> um but I, the Lions wanted to sign me week three, and they honored that and then brought me up. So I, did, I was on the roster the entire first year but didn't actually play. Oh, okay. um, but I can remember uh, my second year, Bryce Pop coming up to me about week two or three in the season and said, hey, Jay, in, in full line drill, you mind just kind of easing off a little bit? And at that <laughs> point, a light went off in my head, and I said, holy smokes, I might have a chance. I got the former NFL defensive player of the year telling me to tone it down in practice. <laughs> so I, for whatever reason, I felt like the moment that Bryce pop brought that to my attention and he, he's been a great friend. We, we were prayer partners on the team. He's a solid Christian. I'm a solid Christian. And so we would pray for each other, not all the time, but when he was out on the field, I'd just be lifting him up. And when I was out on the field, cause we were uh, offensive defense, uh, it was just a great relationship, and I thought that somehow in my mind I had arrived because Bryce Pop told me to tone it down a little bit in practice. <laughs> That's unbelievable. That has to be a sweet feeling coming from a uh, uh, a perennial Pro Bowler like that to a seventh round younger guy in the team. That's amazing. But before we talk about the good times here, I want to touch a little bit what you mentioned earlier. So before we get to Donahoe. You really were involved in some up-and-down years with Buffalo. I was looking over the, the teams you were actually on, and, of course, you were on those Johnson Flutie teams. And I, we've had a bunch of your former teammates on that we'll talk about later, but guys like Sam Gash. I feel like we're good friends with John Fiena at this point. He's co- come on a couple times. He's a great guy. Jerry Ostrowski. Jerry Ostrowski, Quinn Early. So Rob Johnson actually was on the show, too. He seemed like a great guy. So, I, And they've usually given me the company line, so if you want to do that as well, you're more than welcome to. But – 
those times in 98-99, you have two quarterbacks that are going back and forth due to injury or coaches or even owners' decision, especially that Titans playoff game. What was the locker room like? You mentioned the, the culture changed later with Donahoe. What was the culture like in the time with Wade Phillips after Marv Levy? Well, I think, you know, we had good teams. We had uh, quality personnel. Um, it, it, it It's always a difficult situation when you have, you know, two competing quarterbacks, you know, guys that are, you know, shown up and, and played pretty well. Um, you know, I, personally, looking back on that, I think it was a mistake to start Rob that 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 uh, playoff game, uh, that, that might be a little bit more direct than what you get from some of the other guys. But i just tell you from my vantage point, you know, he got a, he got a start against the Indianapolis Colts. The Indianapolis Unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties here, but we asked Jay about his tenure with Tom Donahoe to reiterate what he said earlier. And he talked about his displeasure with how Donahoe handled things, especially bringing in a veteran tight end named Dave Moore, who they gave all the reps to early on, trying to change over the roster despite having a broken hand. Hand that's in a cast, you're not going to make him the primary receiver on a throw. You're going to take one of the guys that have produced for you for a number of years and let him do that, right? Um, and that's the kind of stuff that was just going on under the Kevin Gilbride, Tom Donahoe era. And I think he was feeding the line to Mr. Wilson and Mr. Wilson, you know, saw what was happening on the, on the playing field and, and it didn't make sense to him, but he was inclined to believe what management was saying. And then that's when I said, you know, years later, he, he talked to me when I was in Pittsburgh and said, what a mess. The guy, <laughs> the guy totally messed things up. So you know, I I don't say that to hear grievances. I'm just that's I'm I'm one of those truth tellers. What yeah. you see is what you get. And um, so early on in my career in Buffalo, that winning culture was exactly what attracted me to to Pittsburgh. And they were moving on to Tommy Maddox, um, and they needed a tight end to get you know uh, the defenses out of cover too. And and that's what I brought to the table. And early on, it worked. And then Tommy struggled, and we went to Ben, and we went back to a more run-oriented offense. And, of course, then I tore my Achilles the following year, and that, you know, nine years in, coming off of the torn Achilles, that kind of ended it for me. So I, I have no qualms with my NFL career and my mm-hmm. time in Buffalo. I loved every minute of it, and I was kind of a blue-collar guy, and that's what attracted me to both Buffalo and Pittsburgh. When you think back about your time in Western New York, if you were to come back here for a day, uh, maybe wave the flag before a Big Bill's home game in the future, maybe you've already done it, what would be some of the top restaurants or some of the top places you'd like to get back to? Hey, listen, it's funny you say that. Um, I actually did that a couple times. So I brought my entire family back. I'd say it's been a couple years now. And it's funny because my kids, even though they were young when, when I was playing, like real young, some of them weren't even born until after I was done. And it's funny because we'd sit around the dining room table and we have a, a personal friend here and a great NFL player in Kirk Cousins, who is a starting quarterback yep. for the Vikings. And so anyway, I went to hear him speak and I brought the boys and we we interacted with him, that kind of stuff. Even got him to sign a Michigan State hat, which is just awful to bring <laughs> into my house. But anyway, we came back and Kara said, "Hey, boys, how was your day?" And, and my my son, who is my namesake, now I'm Alan J. Remersma, 
Jr., and he's Alan J. Reimers from the third. He goes by Trip, Trip for Triple. But anyway, um, he looked at Mom, Kara, my wife, and says, oh, it was awesome. I got to meet a real live NFL football player. <laughs> <laughs> and, my, and my wife looks at him kind of like, well, you know your dad play. And, and Trip looked at her and said, no, I mean a real one. <laughs> so, when we went – when we went back to Buffalo and, and waved the flag and, you know, had, you know, people cheering and that kind of stuff when we came out, it was just awesome because for the first time, my kids who are now teenagers now were like, Oh my goodness, my dad was a real live NFL football player. These people know who my dad is. How cool is that? So we had an absolute blast. We went to Ted's, you know, we had to get a hot dog. Yeah. Um, we went to Niagara Falls, which I hated going to because everybody and their brother who came to visit us in Buffalo had to go to Niagara Falls. Yep. We we went to uh, uh, Mighty Taco. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have we don't have Mighty Taco by us. Um, and then we um, I'm trying to think what's the fancy place out? Oh, Ilio de Palos. Yeah. Right? Got to go to Ilio's. And then uh, I think we even hit Daniel's. Is Daniel's still open? Daniel's. Right yeah, near, right near the. In, go ahead. In in Orchard Park area. Danny's. I don't know. I know there's a Danny's right near the stadium. What about any wings? Did you get Did you get the kids some real chicken wings? And please don't have them call yeah. them buffalo wings. Please make sure they don't call yeah. them that. Yeah, we 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 hit the uh, Lenova. Oh yeah, some wings. Very good, good, good choice. So be, I I love this, but my favorite thing to ask is what you remember most about the fans and the people of Buffalo. So I know there's been plenty of other stuff talked about from those guys we mentioned earlier. So for you, what sticks out most about the fans of the city of Buffalo? Well, just how this, the fan base is just incredible. And so I, one of my fondest memories is coming in on a cold winter you know, day and being in December, you got the lake effect snow coming and that kind of stuff. And of course you, you show up three or four hours early before the game rolling into the, the stadium and seeing just the, the 50 gallon drums that are <laughs> raging with fire. And you got a guy already with a beer in his hand and his shirt off and he's yelling at you, let's go, Buffalo, you know, yep. as you're making your way into the stadium and just how respectful the fan base was um they always treated me really fair you know i made mistakes i owned them and i think that i earned respect for the mistakes that i made and and just the blue collar nature of the fan base was just something that i just really appreciated because you know what growing up in a farm town we were again you work hard and you go to work you show up for work every day whether you're hurt or not you get it done you know and Mm -hmm. that's what i really appreciated about the fans there in buffalo and finally, you are our Buffalo Sports Blast from the past, so I think a lot of our fans want to know what you've been up to now. You probably now doing some research. You probably have the most interesting post football. Uh, you are Quinn Early. Oh, and- true. Yeah, <laughs> Quinn Early became a stunt man. So you're right. That is a good one too. But um, tell us what you've been up to now. I know you coached football, or excuse me, high school football right after, and then you even ran for uh, a political seat. Yeah, so right after I retired uh, from the NFL, I I was still trying to make a comeback. I tore my Achilles in December, so I knew I wasn't going to play that next year. So I kind of targeted, you know, a two-year comeback 
based on, you know, kind of history and, and what it takes to come back from an Achilles injury and that kind of thing. And so on an interim basis, I coached my high school alma mater, just kind of helping them out. They were kind of transitioning and the coach uh, had stepped away for some personal issues and they were looking for a coach. And so I, I did that for a couple of years. And then I got an opportunity to go to work for a Christian nonprofit that's based in Washington, D.C. that kind of promotes life and marriage and traditional family values and that type of thing. And so I did that for a couple of years and ran for Congress in light of uh, that. It's kind of a political uh, position and raising funds for the organization, that kind of stuff. And so I ran for Congress. One of my most bitter defeats in anything that I've ever done, I lost by 600 votes, oh my and goodness. there was 106,000 votes cast. Oh. So, you know, you're talking about hanging chads and all that kind of stuff. It was pretty pretty crazy. But you know what? The Lord had a plan, and I went back to work for Family Research Council, and I've, I've been doing that for, you know, you know, essentially since I retired from the NFL. So in that role... I'm kind of the manager of the sales team, you know, and uh, in corporate terms, making sure that everybody has the resources available to get the critical work that we're doing done. And so that's what I've been doing. Yeah, it took it. Usually I, I spend time trying to find former bills on social media. You do a good job of kind of you keep it all about family and had to find you on uh, on one social media platform. You talked about your kids earlier. What are your kids up to now? They have to be teenagers or maybe even college age. Yeah, our oldest, Sophie, is going to be a junior at Miami of Ohio. She is an outside hitter on the volleyball team. Oh, nice. Yeah, so she was able to secure a scholarship. And, uh, you know, the only trouble that I have is that, you know, she's in that state down south. But um, we we try not to talk about that very much. Although, (laughs) you know, every time we cross the border, we get out of the car and spit. And then we (laughs) get back in the car and we keep going on and but anyway, she's in in uh, my at Miami of Ohio uh, playing volleyball. My uh, middle son, my namesake Trip, is a senior here at Zealand High, and his sport is basketball. Nice. Um, he'll probably play basketball in college. He's got several opportunities to play at the next level. It's just kind of been kind of a weird year for right. recruiting and knowing where to go, um, that type of thing. But and then I have my youngest, Nick is 15. So we go 19, 17, 15. And he is uh, a great cross country runner. It's weird to have a kid in a sport without a ball, but (laughs) I've uh, learned to appreciate the work ethic that he has there. And he also plays basketball and and both of them run track too, as well in the spring. So that's what we're up to. And I married, married Kara, my high school sweetheart, uh, been married for 20 uh, let's see. I better get this right. Twenty-three <laughs> years now. Wow. Um, and it's it's awesome. Love it. You know, we we have interviewed a lot of your teammates, and it's for Dan and I. Uh, you know, to watch players that, or to interview players that we watched growing up, it's been really cool to hear about your lives coming full circle. We actually had John Fina on in a dual interview with his son, who is a freshman guard or tackle at UCLA. Maybe one day. We could have you and your son on once he's playing basketball somewhere in college. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to do that. And I and I follow John on, on Facebook, and so it's been cool to see the recruiting process. And, and he was a great player and a great friend, and it is kind of fun to see. 
I've run into so many people on either the volleyball circuit or the um, Elvis Gerbach, who was a, a Michigan yeah. quarterback. His daughter plays at Northwestern. And our daughters kind of ran into each other in the AAU circuit on the national stage. And so it's just fun to connect, you know, like you said, through the next generation of athletes. And uh, so, yeah, pretty cool. So I'd love to have be on again sometime when Tripp has the opportunity to play at the next level. Well, Jay, like Bill said, we really appreciate you coming on, making time for us. I will say that one thing I do enjoy about the, besides the fact that I'm a fan, about the Bills being good again and kind of returning to that national relevance is seeing guys like you that are able to have a little more pride saying that they're a former Buffalo Bill as opposed to what it must have been like the past 20 years or so. <laughs> so um, I hope that's the case, and I, I, we really appreciate it, and uh, good luck with everything moving forward. Hey, thanks, guys. It's been a great interview, and go Bills. Alrighty then. Thank you, Jay Reemersma. An absolutely fantastic interview. Again, we apologize for the technical difficulty in the middle. Still a great interview, great catching up, and hearing what he's up to now, as well as all his thoughts on the Bills while he played and the Bills now. Bill, let's wrap it up. Our last fantasy fling of the year wow. because championship week was last week. We're going to give a little teaser into next year, but... Bill, who who sponsors our fantasy fling? It's none other than uh, Buffalo Boutique Boards over, uh, you know, over there, Tana Tanawanda. <laughs> Not going to give the exact address. Starts with a C. That's the street name. I'll tell you what. You give Amanda a ring over there at Buffalo Boutique Boards. She'll take care of you. Hopefully, we get these parties, you know, up from ten to twenty. Get start getting to the medium sized boards as we get into two thousand twenty one. What if do they say in, about boutique boards? Oh, they always say, you know, you can put, put it on, on a board. board. Yes. Bill, you struggled again with your backup tight end as your, like, fifth straight week. You went with Cole Komet versus it was the, the Jimmy Graham day. It, it was. was. It was Jimmy Graham. I missed out. I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. Dan, you had Le'Veon Bell. Yep. So Cole Komet went two catches, 18 yards, one rush, negative three yards. Le'Veon Bell, I thought, was going to get the uh, bulk of the load. They went to Damian Williams. He only, excuse me, Williams had 10 rushes for 46 yards. Bell only had 30 yards on seven rushes. So that'll be something interesting to watch because it's not like Atlanta has a staunch run defense or anything. How about this little segment, Bill? Our way too early player that you need to have on your team next year for fantasy. Mine is going to be Jaguars wide receiver and gadget type player LaVisca Chenault, their second round pick. Or no, was they a first? Second round pick, maybe. Second round pick out of Colorado this past year. He had he currently going into week 17, he has 52 catches for 523 yards and three touchdowns and 17 rushes for 93 yards. However, He's starting to turn it on a bit. He's got 24 targets in his final three games. I think they get an offensive-minded head coach to pair with Trevor Lawrence, and I think he becomes a real weapon in the offense next year. I like that take, Dan, a lot. Um, he's on my dynasty team. 42nd overall pick yeah, from Colorado, same college as Cordell Stewart. Dan, my guy is Gabe Davis, and here's why. It's not a homer pick. Diggs is going to be obviously the focal point. He already is of every single defense next year. I don't think you're going to have John Brown. So I think Davis in year two, he's got a full year of seasoning. I think he'll improve. His relationship will improve with Allen. He's surpassed expectations as a rookie, and I would think he will take that next big step in year two, and I think he'll still fly under some radars. Yeah, definitely a bit of a homer pick there, but that's okay. If you look at Davis's numbers on the year, it's actually very – 
A lot of touchdowns. Very, yeah, very impressive. He is tied for third in the NFL. He's tied for third in the NFL with six receiving touchdowns behind Claypool and Justin Jefferson. So that's pretty impressive, uh, especially for a fourth-round pick. I mean, those guys are first and second picks, I believe. Um, yeah, so let's move on here. How, I mean, the games of the week for me, for the NFL games of the week, is just – I mean, those are all the AFC games for me. We also have the – I would assume you're going to be keen in on, if we're not going to look at that, the NFC East games. All the classics, yep. So, it'll, and I do like the way the NFL lays the schedule out where everybody's got to be scoreboard watching while they play, so no one really knows anything except Washington will know who would win if they don't win Sunday night. So it really worked out in the NFL's favor uh, the way the schedule worked out. But, Bill, that'll do it for 2020. I want to thank our guests, Adam Frown and Mike Peters. Thank Jay Reemersma, obviously, and... Again, nothing but good luck and fortune and fortune and good health to you and your family oh, in the thanks, new year. Dan. I really appreciate it. And, you know, it's been a heck of a year. Who would have thought we would have got to 36 episodes? If you would have asked us that on January 1st of 2020, we would have said, get out of here. But, Dan, a lot of, a lot of you know, a lot of uh, followers and guests, they want to know, will Buckets and Dan appear in 2021? I guess we'll just have to find out on will January seventh. Will there be? Hey, well, Dan, I got to thank you, fantastic co-host, and Dan puts in the work. You know, he's the editing machine. He's the one who makes it sound great. So, really appreciate him. Can't wait to show you your second gift tomorrow. <laughs> Can't wait for the reaction on social media. So, again, all you listeners, please go rate, review, and subscribe. Share it with your friends. Share it with your family. Enjoy this episode over your New Year. Excuse me, New Year's Eve long weekend, and we. Happy New Year! Happy New Year, and I love you, man. I know who 